But, but, uh, episode 38, Badass Records Podcast, John Engel. Hello. How's it going? It's going very well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I didn't know. I, I thought we were already in the episode. Well, it's... Are we kind t- of part, partially in the episode already? I mean, it, it'll. I won't know until I go back. And gotcha. it's so... I mean, if you've... It's so weird. Because, yeah. like, I, I see myself ask the same question more than once in mm-hmm. one thing. Oh, really? Okay. Because I'm, like, thinking about notes and thinking about the music and thinking about the flow of the conversation. And so I'm not, like, 100, 100% listening all the time no I get so it. add to the fact that looking at your own dumb face and hearing your own dumb voice for the second time of a, a second version of a conversation and then seeing yourself mm-hmm. act like an idiot it's just like brutal so it's, every time we lose film like when we lost two-thirds of leases it's like mm. why couldn't it have been mine like I love looking at the guest face right, when I do right. the edit, but I look at my face. <laughs> I get See, we I do all my podcasting on Zoom these days. Okay. Like my podcast partners are all over the country, so we're always on Zoom, and I'm always looking at my face. But it's kind of fun. I'm like if somebody else is talking, and I'm making faces, <laughs> and it's too much fun. But we don't do video, so I never see us right, talking. Right. But yeah, especially if um, like um, I don't know if it's. Uh, because, oh god damn it I, I forget the the, the wall oh, the, and the claps that, that helps me line up the audio the wave sound, yeah. yeah anyway um if i remember you know a certain portion where the conversation is immediately about to go or, or what it, if i just know mm-hmm. like oh this is where he talked for like six minutes about boston terriers and i can peel you know all of that camera away right but it's on me like and so and you're going like no i'm uh, i'm like touching (laughs) my nose and licking my lips and like god what what is wrong with you you see it all a whole bunch of times happen in a row just like oh right uh so uh you're i think if my math is correct the sixth guest from the mccoy's family okay to be so thank you for being here i know um, adam and lisa and gherkin adam, lisa gherkin ethan brown oh ethan right yeah oh I've, well he wasn't really mccoy's right? uh, he was family yeah, family foundry, yeah. uh i mean they cut a hole in the wall and yeah, sure. connected him and then elwin i don't know if you remember elwin do you remember lyrely yes i know okay that that's more of a name i know from dylan brown constantly you know that kind of just name mentioning, and I think I probably did meet him, but it's so long okay. ago. This, it, I think he was before yeah, yeah. Kevin, or at the same time as there was, Kevin, but there Kevin was might overlap. have taken over his job or something. I no, can't. Mark was always just a, he was a oh, front of the house manager. Um, but yeah, he, the, the front of the house manager, so Kevin was GM when I came yep. on. McLean was yep. the reason I got the job. Okay. Um, Rich, or, Richie, yeah. Rich, Richie, how did we, it's been 20 years, man. Rich. Um, Rich. McKinney. McKinney, yep. And was that it? It might have been. They might have been rolling with a pretty thin crew I mean, when I first came. I can't remember who. Jim Ligon was in there probably before. Jim Lig- I've never worked. Jim Ligon I know I know really well, but never from McCoy's. And I didn't Scott even know Phelan. Phelan was later. For a minute. Yeah, I remember um, Phelan, of course. Erica. Was like Erica later. Later. Um but I'm talking about that first. This is 2000. Tristan. Summer of 2000. Tristan was the other one. Tristan Bracon. Haven't seen him in a million years. I know. But that was my summer of 2003 higher in. Okay. 
and it was McLean through Lisa. So Lisa and I knew each other, and then we got drunk with McLean. And Wil- would, Wilkinson? Yes. Okay. So we knew each other from 39th Street, like 39th and Bell neighborhood. <clears throat> Pardon me. And um, her and I went out drinking, and McLean was there. And so we got really drunk with McLean, you know, drunk McLean, the hair and all that. You know, oh, remember God, how he, yes. would, he would put his, yes. at the point he realized he was drunk enough, he'd put his fingers through his hair, and it would stick up, and you'd like not even be looking at him, and you'd look over and see that hair up. And you're like, there he is. I picked the wrong way to quit <laughs> sniffing glue. <laughs> it's pretty much like that. And so he and I were we were all hanging out, and at the time I was working at the Tivoli Theater and at Video Mania, making zero dollars, like both minimum wage jobs Fuck. just for movies, you know, movie benefits. Yeah, and couldn't make ends meet, so I'm complaining about that. And then um, one afternoon, I'm working at Video Mania. I walk over to get pick up to go food from McCoy's, and he just walks up to me and goes, "Hey, you want a job here?" That's uh, that's that sounds very McLean. I was like, uh, "Yeah, if you got one," because I had serving experience at a couple places before that. And so he's like, okay, cool. Um, come back tomorrow. So the next day I come back and I'm sitting at the same spot at the bar. And he's like, uh, we'll talk to Kevin in a minute. He's in the plot room in a meeting. So McLean goes in there. I'm sitting at the bar watching TV. Then McLean just comes out and goes, Kevin said you're cool. Just come, come back. Nice. So I didn't even interview for nice. McLean's. Funny because that's so, you know, not knowing Kevin Kim at all at the time. Right. Um, immediately, that's who he was. Like, there's, that's, yeah. it encapsulates Kevin in a lot of ways. Like, Good judgment, super casual dude, just very very cool guy. Yep. So um, and, and the uh, good times began there. That was y- yeah, man. Quite and also a formative period of my life for sure. Y- y- absolutely. Uh, but he, he's all those ways, and you know, in in a way that's very him. But mm-hmm. also, like, I mean, not that it would happen too terribly often for dinner service, but like. If Kevin was running a shift, I mean, he 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 knew he could do expo blindfolded. He could carry a ton of plates. Uh, he had a, a just like a nice balance of like, hey guys, and like also like let's have fun, right? Yeah. I, I, Ultra competent. Yes, like never, like and and we're not talking about a man who didn't not have um, a temper or he was he used it when he. In situations we don't need to go into, no, but never yeah. like I never saw it in the workplace situation. No, he was always even kill there. I thought, and he's the only guy. I don't. I don't know if I had a special. I think there was a handful of us that had a special relationship with him, to where we could actually ask to cut the floor, <laughs> and he would let us do it. Like I could say, I could go up to Kevin. I learned early. So many other managers will like react defensively to that. Sure, but I just I remember, and it was a bad standard to set. You know. But I would go up and say, hey, Kevin, I think we can cut, we can cut four. And he would just go, no mas. Every single time, exactly the same. Kevin, we can cut four. Oh, no mas. Because remember, four was that kind of like, um, what would you call By it? By the like, brewery? No, four was the one where you kind of cut into the other sections. Oh. So it was like a little, uh, if the, you had the bistro. Oh. Uh, table numbers are not going right. to, might not have those anymore. But I think it was six, seven, eight, like 13, 14, and then 25 over. So you had pieces of all the other sections. So it was the first cut section easily because four's out, everybody and then everybody just, just has, moves yeah. and takes their tables. Yeah. And so it would be like, Kevin, can we cut four? And he's like, no moss. So what would happen if you what, what a guy. Like didn't if you have the floor? If you didn't have the in to ask that and somebody. I don't, I think he'd be like, he was still nice to people. He wasn't angry. But now some managers, you know, we know, restaurant managers. Never ask them to cut the floor because they'll just keep everybody on. Yeah. <laughs> the whole shift. It's yeah. kind of like, 
Yeah, okay. But 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 yeah, that's the server stuff. You yeah, know. Liarly, um I mean, I don't even know. There's no way he could still be doing Casey Hopps stuff because his old no his youngest is I mean they're they're they travel I think every weekend for baseball like his nice. kid is and, and I think he pitches mm-hmm. anyway he uh, left McCoy's and maybe went back to like maybe he came to McCoy's from Hops and then went back to Hops and was there forever. Um, but he, his good buddy Elwin would come in sometimes and drink, uh, bald black dude with glasses. Um, and then, so I, he, he did, uh, uh, he's a Raiders fan. Um, he did a, like a blog interview with me about, I used to try to interview a fan of the team the chiefs were playing that week. Mm-hmm. So he did a, he did a Raiders thing. Um, and, um, and so I reached out to him for this and uh, I learned when we sat down to talk that he hosted for a minute, which okay. would have been before my time or I don't remember. But anyway, I, so I yeah. count him. He's kind of okay. In yeah, if it was before your time, you were there when I got there. So yeah, your, your time is before, if it was before your time, it's definitely before. My yeah. Time. Um, but I do think I might know who you're talking about now. Yeah. You described him. He's uh, super, super sweetheart. I mean, yeah. like, then how can he be a Raiders fan? I don't understand. Yeah, there's a couple. I was that, raised to believe they were all bad people. I, like I know, nope, I don't think my parents ever said, but I think I convinced myself that there were a couple criminals on the roster. My my mom's attitude towards the Raiders growing up was such that I, when I was little, and growing up in this like evangelical environment I grew up in, I thought they were all going to hell. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That was really a thought I had. You know, at like seven, eight, nine, ten years old, that I'm like. Oh, Poor guys, they're all they're all damned to hell. It's gonna be hot they're, down there. Putting on that be on fire forever. <laughs> that was just because I think just because I equated things that yeah. way, you know. And my parents, uh, my mom, boy, you know, she was the one that kicked me into gear, Chiefs fan wise. Okay, I was a bit of a Cowboys fan when I was little. Because are we? Was, are I'm seventy four. Are you seventy four? Okay. okay. So we're talking. And they, and they were new, always on the damn television when we were kids. Yeah, I don't Every remember time, the Chiefs being on TV at all. Because they were. T- they, 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 I mean, I'm sure they were, but for some reason, I don't remember. Dude, I don't remember at all. Right. And so the situation in my neighborhood. This is up in Excelsior Springs. So I'm the youngest boy in the neighborhood. So I'm the little like. Are you an hey only guys, child? Hey guys. No, I got an older sister, but older. she was she just stayed in the house all the time. She okay. didn't have any friends in the neighborhood. So uh, I'm running around going, hey guys, hey guys, let's play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the neighbor to my left was a Steelers fan, and the neighbor across the street was a Cowboys fan. And they had those like Sears catalog plastic helmet and like crappy polyester jersey, and they'd put them on and we'd play football. Uh, yeah. So I chose the Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys were glamorous at the time. They were. They a, there was a comic book of the Cowboys at That's the time. That's when they actually kind of were America's team. They were. Like they were before, excited. Before they got real good in the 80s and started mm. winning shit in the 90s. And It was really, it was the 90s. The 80s were where they actually, I've, I remember there being a real valley there. They weren't very good. No. I don't I, know. I, I, I can't remember I them. remember Staubach and Danny White. Danny White, but that ended in like 84. And so. then after that, I don't remember. So they yeah. must not have been very good. Well, the, another reason for me not to remember is that that's when my mom finally said, look. What are you doing? Yeah, get get in the house. I don't remember the exact. It was just something like, you know, I had this big Dallas Cowboys sweatshirt and I started to grow out of it. 
She's like, you know, we we're actually in Kansas City, you know, and we're like, I'm a Chiefs fan. My mom used to go to Memorial Stadium games, you know, pre Arrowhead. Wow. And um, I was like, okay. And so we started watching. Then I suddenly I were watching Chiefs on TV, which I didn't remember doing before. And then it was eighty six. Is it eighty six or eighty seven? I think it's eighty six. That the special teams was so amazing that we went to the playoffs. Yes, yeah. Well, under, like, well, like we scored more touchdowns on special teams than we did on offense. Or we, something we, weird we, like that. we fired John Makovic and and promoted Frank Gans. I think so. It was actually the we Makovic was still the coach when they went to the playoffs because Gans was the special team coach, and then they might have overreacted. Fired Makovic. Yes, and, yes. And then Gans was terrible, and then it was shot shot in Hyber. There might I, there might have even been a guy in between. I don't think no. so. No. I don't it was think like 88 so. or 89 that we got shot. In uh, yeah. I mean, Carl and Marty came as a almost basically a package deal in the mm-hmm. 80, going into the 89 season, 89. I think. And then first thing they do is draft Derek Thomas. Derek DT. Right? DT. So it was over. It was, but that team. Ethan Brown, uh, I, every time, uh, RIP in peace. He, yeah. You know, so every time. Double, double peace. Yeah, right. So, yeah. but I'm sorry, uh, DT. Well, so that I was a. Actually, my first guy was Drawn Cherry, though. I was so into Drawn Cherry right away. The cards, the cops. He that's exactly. That was all I knew of the Chiefs before. Same. Like the, there was a little police station in Excelsior Springs, and if we were in that neighborhood, I would walk over. My mom would take me over there. And I'd get the Chiefs cards. I didn't care about the Chiefs when I was little, but one of those free football Dude, cards, uh, Drawn Cherry or a Stephon Page. Stephon I mean, those Page, were man. those were the shit to have. Three, is it three oh nine? Is that the single game receiving record still he he caught like 309 yards in a know. game in like 85 or I 86. don't know yeah it's something strange wow. yeah it's really strange huh but um yeah I love Stefan I still talk about that's Adam Boyd and I occasionally bring up because he's too young to remember Stefan Page right pretty much yeah but I'll bring him up and like as like the quintessential Chiefs yeah. receiver from my childhood I mean and he was still pretty good up until the point, you know, that I was a fan. He was. Yeah. Um, I was telling my son on the way to his baseball game. Uh, I forget how the heck it came up. Um, oh, I mean, he's like me. I mean, the minute you turn that car on and are on the street, just zoned. Just mm. like, hello, kind of. And in right circumstances, that's usually the precursor to a nap right. for both of us. Um, so he's quiet. I'm just, I'm listening. I'm singing a lot like pretty loudly to no sleep till brooklyn mm-hmm. just came on and i'm oh, fucking you know and then all of a sudden he's like hey dad and i was like yeah i turned it down he's like have you ever thought about how weird it is that the world is so big but there's only one arrowhead stadium and i was like nope mm-hmm. nope i think about how big I the world either. is all the time <laughs> but and, and so i started talking about how cool and unique and amazing the organization and the stadium are i mean it took us all the way to the stadium, and then I was like, "By the way, like, I'm biased. You know, like, it's impossible for me to talk about the Chiefs without a little extra mm-hmm. zhuzh because I, I grew up living and dying with them." Um, but uh, I, my dad told me, and so I, I was telling him that uh, in the early mid, possibly late '80s, when NFL films would come, yeah, they would say. If there's a big pass play, mm-hmm. do not have the camera follow the ball because they didn't want the world to see that the top. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I was like, oh, like it still stings to hear mm-hmm. when he. I was like, no way, we were that bad. Yeah, we were bad. Yeah, <laughs> we were a hundred percent that bad. bad. Yeah, that. So that special teams year was so exciting. That was enough. It hooked me. Yep. And then I was uh, drawn. Cherry got. See, I feel bad for not remembering. 
four, he might have gotten four interceptions in a game. Think so. I think he did. Think so. So I was hooked, and I remember my dad. Um, what was the name of that sporting goods store? It doesn't. It's not a sporting goods store. It's more like a t-shirt, you know, sporting novelty store, or whatever. And they just opened the town pavilion downtown, and there was one in there. And my dad went in there to get my my Christmas present was going to be a jersey, but it was really just like a Chiefs T-shirt that then he had them print Cherry 20 on the back. And he was having them print this up custom. And his wife came up. and she, She's like, oh, does it, who's the big drawn Cherry fan? And my dad was like, my son is like, well, he's my husband. And it, this kind of stuff happens to my dad. He, he had the same kind of conversation with Willie Wilson's wow. wife one time at Kaufman. Wow. <laughs> just random stuff that happens to my dad. But all that stuff makes you... Like as a child, that's that's it seems just kind of like an offhanded meeting as an adult. But as a child, it was like like some omen or something. Like you don't think about it that way, but it it solidifies and calcifies I, things for you. You I, know, I'm I'm I still get a little bit of that omen feel as an adult. Oh well, yeah. When it comes yeah, to sports, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Sports are a whole. Uh, I think about the world of sports different than I think about the world. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's probably There's smart. No doubt probably smart. It. Yeah. But, you know, so the Chiefs thing, that's kind of where it started. And then I'm just rabid fan. Once we, he took me, my dad took me to William Jewell. When they were training camp there, I saw Christian Okoye walk by and saw that. I mean, there was something about the, just the impressiveness of his physique. <laughs> I'll never forget. It was like him and Marty were walking side by side down the little yeah. walkway to go out to the practice yeah. field. It was just like, and then I started playing football right after that. Nice. I was hitting high school. So all that put together, Chiefs fandom, big time. And then, you know, a few years ago, I lived, 10 years ago, I lived in Denver. Yeah. And that just like, I was already a giant fan, but living in enemy territory. That's nothing, nothing better for it you. Out. Oh, dude. Yeah. It really And you know what? I'm 22 years, no. Yeah. 22 years removed. It's still on full. I know. Like yeah. this Russell will, ah, oh, I could just, <laughs> like, I don't need porn anymore. I can just jerk off to Russell Wilson gaffes and oh, Broncos man. being stupid. What a weird situation. I that mean. Is. Uh, and how it's opening up. I mean, we don't have to go on and on about Russell Wilson, but it's funny how he's in Seattle and everybody. He's he look. I'm not going to say he's a good football player. Let's not fool ourselves. Something's weirds going on here. There's some lack of cohesion or anything. I'm not sleeping on him. I'll just put that. You know, oh, I don't know when no. this is going to. The play, minute you it, look away, he'll be coming up. I'm not sleeping on the Broncos, but he's in Seattle and everybody reveres him and talks about. Oh well, Carroll's holding him down and all these things. He comes here, comes to Denver, he starts screwing up, and he becomes a bit of a laughing stock early in the season, and suddenly all of his old teammates are coming out of the woodwork to talk shit. It's weird. And I kind of like I heard well, he seems I heard like a strange uh, dude, but it sounds like he's a real strange dude. I saw a TikTok <laughs> last night. Uh, it's Richard Sherman yeah, that, po- podcasting with Marshawn yeah. yeah. and talking about how he like doesn't shower, he showers or has a separate space. Doesn't give his phone number to any of his teammates. I, I think Strange. there's. I think the, I think the yeah. list is kind of, you know, growing slowly. Mm-hmm. Super weird. I think the best take I've heard on his play, um, and what why it's an issue and why it may or may not change was Jeff Schwartz on his podcast said that he is, um, you know, he's bragged about all these very specific training regimens he goes through and all this stuff, and how he lives his life and all these things in very strict ways. And he's like, when you turn yourself into a very specific kind of robot. It's really hard to reprogram. If you have to make adjustments, you can't do it because you've gone down this straight road for so long. And why? Maybe he can't adjust. Maybe he can't straighten it up. I don't know. It was an interesting take because we have seen him kind of be, he is a robotic. I mean, what's more robotic than getting your ass handed to you in a game, 
going out giving the most depressed uh, press conference. And then when you walk away, you still say your catchphrase. <laughs> it's very What did straight. he say? He was walking away and he goes, he's just like, oh, no, this loss, blah, 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 the players, this and all the team, whatever, gobbledygook, you know, in the press conference. And then he, it's like, okay, I'm done. Broncos country. Oh, my God. And then God. he's like walking away and he goes, let's ride. You haven't seen that? That's amazing. No. So ro- it's very robotic. Ugh. Yeah. It's like my programming won't allow me to walk away. I saw, okay, I, I I thought you were going to say something different. It might not have been Schwartz, but somebody was like, um, if you get thrust into this spot where you, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do it justice, but have to like you're so he gets put into this slot in Seattle and it's like part of this elite quarterback compartment mm-hmm. but things are like orchestrated in a certain way and Carol has things that orchestrated that way for all for very good reason because when all the parts are in place they can be a good football team but if you take him out and now you put him okay now you now you got to like lead a franchise and earn 435 million but he doesn't with rookie coaching staff and he doesn't he so he doesn't know like right. he doesn't have he's not Peyton you know he doesn't have like just uh, oodles and oodles of muscle memory to just be like all right i got to figure out if it's cover 2 and i got to i got to mm-hmm. watch tape you know i don't know but it so it just seems like they're like oh we'll just put it in there and then you put it in there and it's not working so far so far never i mean i've seen enough russell wilson to know that um he's more of the improvisational type of player like he can make plays happen just out of talent and ability to react and all these things but he's not peyton manning or tom brady or somebody who they walk out there and it's like just just, just the the field lays out and they can see the paths and everything yeah it's just scans at all they can see whatever path is going to be open and and are good enough. I mean, I still think Peyton Manning might be one of the great coaches in a way because he took that Denver team full of nobodies and who none of them went on to. Be don't good don't say it. that to Broncos fans because they'll not, talk to you about how that was the number one defense no, of all I, time. I, and hey, blah, look, blah. they. Oh no, not I'm not talking about the defense. I'm just talking about the offense. The Demarius sure. Thomases and um, I'm forgetting who that other guy was on that team, but um. There was a bunch. They, there was, came they were and just kind of like not anybody. And then he, he, I think he coached them up to get open. And they were good enough to catch the ball. And that's all they needed. And they get to a couple of Super Bowls. And that's fantastic. I mean, that's for them. But, um, and then they go on to other teams and do nothing. As far as I know, I might be forgetting something. No, I don't I remember those guys going on. One of those dudes, well, there was a white dude. He went to the Jets for mm-hmm. a minute. And it was like he maybe had a good chunk of a season, and then I feel like I didn't hear his name ever again. And Thomas, I think Thomas might have gotten hurt some. And yeah, obviously yeah. We've, we've learned that he had some kind of health issues. So, yes, um, sadly. Um, and then they had Sanders for a second, right? Fucking but clown. Of course, he was actually already good. You know, yeah, like that was a yeah. more of a big pickup. But anyway, I don't think Russell Wilson's one of those guys. I don't think he sees the field that way. I might be wrong. But, but to but me, I think we're said, kind of seeing it that right now, like play out that. But you said twice that you're not going to sleep on him, meaning you're not sold. I don't know. The NFL's too weird. They they could <laughs> like yeah. find, turn it around, right, and finish sure. nine and if, s- if eight it, Hackett and whoever I don't know who their offensive coordinator. If those guys that they can all keep looking at tape, keep watching, you know, get a bye week, figure it all out. 
okay, this is what we had to things unlock. NFL is too yeah. weird. I yeah. never want to unlock be... it, and then like three weeks later, everybody's like, these guys are unstoppable, and, and they've totally forgotten all the shit they <laughs> talked before. It's am- yeah. NFL punditry is oh one of the more amazing things to witness. How like I want somebody to get. I want it to be like um, was a double dare or can't do that on television. So there should be some kind of visual punishment for every time Stephen Davis or something. So like it's the worst take. Completely Stephen under- Davis is that his name? Stephen A. Smith. Smith. Okay. Thank you. I, I don't. I don't watch. I don't either TV. at all. So uh, I forget well, those guys, but I know I'll occasionally see these horrible Skip Bayless takes dude, or whatever. I don't. How does he have not, a job? They're not spe- because they're not speaking from any kind of authenticity whatsoever. Shannon is. It's all about yeah because he got that. He was lucky enough to get that job. He gets to be the one that actually thinks it through and says things that are accurate, and Skip gets to be the the heel. Like it's a wrestling match. And so, but to me, it's like, you shouldn't be allowed to have that job. You should pay some kind of a price. So there should be some kind of gunk that comes down. Like the next, the next episode after your take was proven completely ridiculous and everybody knew it was yeah. going to be, there should be something that happens every to you. Gear, I want some kind of consequences. Every gear personnel team from all 32 franchises ring out mm-hmm. their all, all everybody's sweat into a vessel and everybody ships it yeah. to the same place and then we dump it on <laughs> anything <laughs> right i just that's why i listen to, i go to podcasts for my yeah um, and not all of them are right. the same but typically the people on the podcast are trying to be right yeah they are trying to be informed and give some kind of accurate analysis because that's their bread and butter in the podcast world uh podcast sound bites aren't going to get a lot of likes or retweets anyway no the video ones are a whole other story so you can come out and be this flamboyant right um just like intentional idiot and have a get paid a lot and get a lot of retweets and everything because the engagement's all that matters it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong and skip bayless i'm skip bayless never seen a person be more wrong more often about sports and, like, and yeah he's of like one of the proudly, highest paid guys right he's oh yeah he knows it's his job and he's like putting it in our face that he gets to do it Ugh, anyway, disgusting. Yeah, that's why I stay. I stay away from TV. I don't watch. Same. Listen. I turn. I turn it on for uh, live sporting events, mm-hmm. which by I, I I didn't see a single snap of KU today. Oh. Uh, I saw that they lost by ten to Oklahoma, which it's defensive pro, the the defense needs some time. I think the defense to, is to gel or oh uh, no, like like a year <laughs> like, oh, to oh, recruit. Okay. Oh, okay. See, the, I tr- I'm trying to be. You know, I got really excited. You know, this five and zero. It's hard not to get really excited. I mean, um, two and zero is. I, I was like, fucking a man. Five and zero is almost like good enough. Now I want yeah. them to win more games. Don't right, get me wrong, right. but um, five and zero start. Relatively new coach, who's an exciting coach. Is clearly good. I like getting a team together because they were not supposed to be this good, right? Um, new stadium and not new stadium, but like coming though, revamp. right? I think they're just going to revamp the booth a lot. That's what I understood. Maybe I'm wrong. They're but not th- building a new stadium. I don't think they're building a. I don't think they're breaking ground. I think they're just going to take the booth and expand it and do. I, I could be wrong because okay. I didn't really look into that. Right. I, I watched the uh, the Harlan narrated video, and I was there. I went to the uh, TCU game, so there was like scuttlebutt around. But I guess I've never actually looked into the. Did you take your boy with you? Yeah, he's been to two. His cousin's on the team. What? Um, Yeah, his cousin's the third string kicker. Cool. Which is really amazing because, like, growing up, like when I first met him, he was like eight or eight or nine years old. This is um, Archer's mom's nephew. Okay. He's like a soccer kid, and um, his parents are like he's really into soccer, so they started paying like every camp. He went to England, I think, to train in soccer. 
soccer, soccer, soccer. He gets to be this big kid and becomes a really good goalie, right? So he's a goalie and he's doing these goal kicks that are like three quarter field goal kicks and all this stuff. And then he gets kind of, I'm just kind of putting words in his mouth, but I think he got kind of tired of soccer and he's going to Rockhurst. So they make him the kicker at Rockhurst and then he kicked like a 55 yarder or something. It was on TV. I remember his mom, like I went to his last soccer game and his mom was like, have you seen this? And she like pulls up the video and I, I could be exaggerating the length, but I think it was a really long cause it was on the news. Did everybody go nuts? It was a field goal that was on the oh, news. Then there you go. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, everybody went nuts and, and he got recruited to KU. Wow. He's six, five, Damn. 220, 230 pounds. And I think they're trying, he told me, he was like, yeah, they're trying to talk me into be defensive end, but I, I've never played football before. Right. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, I get it, man. Yeah. But so he's like, like said he redshirted, and, and right now he's, a, I think he's a true freshman this year, tech, sophomore in college, sure. a true freshman. And he's behind the two, there's the kickoff guy and then the field goal guy. And he's behind the two of them. Wow. But he's got a leg, like a really good leg, so hopefully. But Archer's just so excited about it. We go see him at, outside the locker room. We've gone to two games. We go say hi, and he's in his uniform and everything. And nice. I'm just like real excited about it. But anyway, that's really cool. So we've been going out there. But what I was saying was the five and zero. Oh, I, I feel like the recruitment um, capability this year has gone through the roof. I think we're going to get a lot, lot better guys on KU next year. The results of this season, yeah. Win, I mean, loss it's, it's got to help open recruitment. up doors. Or I think so. Okay. It'll, it, I I wonder about the realignment of conferences. Like if people jump ship to the SEC, and what's Is what's the Big happening? Twelve going to look like? I know, I know Texas, 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 Texas leave. Oklahoma are going oh. to the SEC. And so there's wooing. See, this is where I'm no expert on college it's football by any means. Me either. But there's some wooing of other, like um, maybe the Pac-10 or 12. Is it Pac-10 or 12? I don't uh, That might be falling apart. Now. I don't know. But yeah. I, I hear all these little things here and there. So a lot of, I imagine the realignment will you know dictate. And then um, name, image, likeness stuff, you know, all that. All that stuff dictates everything. But anyway, I do think that KU has the capability to have a much, much better football program. It so it's seemed, exciting. Well, first of all, uh, you know, it's like um, preseason NFL and September call-ups. Um, even if you as a player, even if things don't work in those two pockets, mm-hmm. you, now, there's, now there's some film of you mm-hmm. and other people. So I don't think there's been at least for your eyes and mine, there hasn't been a whole lot of uh, uh, KU football film going around. Uh, obviously it exists and people that need to see it, see it. And there's is shit on TV. And, um, but well, that, college game day, that was the other, that, that's the other element. That's a big boost. That was the TC. That was, the that was we week, were there right? for okay. that. Yeah. That was Man, crazy. I bet. Honestly though, I think it was cr- the, we went to the Duke game and I, th- I felt like it was almost crazier that day. But I think it's cause the fever pitch was, like wait a minute, yeah. It, and yeah. this was more T- the TCU game was more. There was an like expectation of winning, maybe in that. I, one. Well, as soon as I heard college, I was like that, that guaranteed loss. Like that'll just be how that it goes. Was so close though. I know. We could, I think we. Yeah, I don't. It's hard to say we could have won. But but Daniels back to the gone out. But yeah, not only is uh, it, and I could be wrong, but not only does it seem like there's more film out yeah. there, it's more uh, uh, visible to people. But it it, it looks like the team it looks like they like each other. Mm-hmm. Like they get along and try. So, you know, like that's a, hopefully that's a good sign for yeah. a prospect to be looking at this program and say, you know what? I could probably go there and tear it up. Yeah. And then, then I'm this much more accessible, you know, and, and visible. And another thing I don't know every detail about, but 
we're not just talking about high school recruits anymore. We're talking about there's the transfer portal now. So some of these guys, some other school, for one reason or another, don't want to be there anymore, might come on over to KU. You can do that now, I, I think, any time. It's crazy. Like between you know between seasons, you go into the transfer portal, and you go through that process, and you can just go beyond. How long team. has that been a thing? Not long, like as far as I know. Three, four, five years. If yeah, I don't okay. know to be honest, because again, not the biggest college football. Well, person. my buddy, one of my buddies that did came on and did uh, an episode said that that Russell Wilson was like the first one of the first to do that. Well, I think you could do it. Oh. I think it's way easier. I think there was a time where you could under certain circumstances could switch teams. It's because it has happened before. Sure. But now I think it's it's like easy. But I mean, we've seen it happen in basketball for years. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you still only get your four years, right? Yeah, I think so. And I just think it's easier. They talk about it so much now, and it happens more often, I think. Again, I'm starting to feel like maybe we should wrap up the college football because now I'm starting to feel like, oh, I don't know. And maybe that's well, that. Yeah, yeah, no. Now absolutely. we're just kind of asking each other questions well, we don't have the answers to. And here's, I, I've been asked many times over the years, how, how come? And it's like, well, I worked so many years trying to get myself into a spot where, you know, not that I need to be the, the guy running the kitchen, but up there mm-hmm. and Sunday, Monday, I want Sunday, Monday, mm-hmm. Sunday, Monday, Sunday, Monday. And so I always worked every single Saturday. Like mm-hmm. I was never around, I mean, in grad school when I was part-time, but I still, I don't know that I could do it now with kids and kids schedules, but mm-hmm. it, it, it looks a lot more appealing now to sort of, Oh, maybe I should give a little bit of yeah, and, and get get kind of up to, to speed and yeah. what's going on in that world. But anyway, uh, so were you born in Excelsior Springs? That's where I was born. Yeah. And and your sister is how much older? Two years older. Okay, she just turned fifty. Dang. Yeah. Okay, and she is she still? She's in Lawrence. Everybody's in Lawrence now except me, and I might go to Lawrence. Your parents? Yeah, my parents lived in Lawrence now for about five years. Yeah. <sighs> Why did I think that they were out of? town for a while and so when they would come visit it was like they were making a trip never yeah, they were in excelsior springs for since the n- mid 90s okay because we did a little thing where we i was you know we were in excelsior springs till about 85 and then we moved up north by cameron missouri to hamilton missouri okay that's where i went to high school and everything and then um you know became an adult went to college for a minute dropped out was hanging around and then my parents decided to move back to excelsior and that's where they were up until about five years ago my sister lived here and there and then ended up in Excelsior for a little while, but then her husband got a job at the Lawrence Hospital. Okay. So they moved to Lawrence. So then my parents were like, you know, in their 70s, like, hey, we should move. Like crazy. I, I, it's hmm. awesome. They're so just that kind of people. They don't. When they would come in to McCoy's and like have a meal, like you would, they would always sit by the, in between the service well and the, and the brewery. Or I remember a couple times yeah. them sitting over there. Yeah, uh, and it felt like they had traveled to be there, but I guess from Excelsior maybe, Springs, <laughs> it counts. I, I guess, guess so. It's yeah. not down the street. No, uh, and then so, my dad started going to McCoy's every single Monday night for years, and this would have been after you and I both didn't work there anymore. Really, what was going yeah, on Monday he, nights? He kind of he started interacting. So my dad's like in ministry and all that stuff, and he's not actually involved in any church anymore at all. He's not. He's still a Christian or whatever, but um, outside of any kind of organized church. So instead, he would have like like-minded. Hey, interesting. Let's have interesting conversations on Monday nights on the patio if the patio was open. Really, every Monday night, yeah, for years. What kind of numbers are we talking? Just like four or five people. That's really cool. Sometimes just a couple. It was just a hangout. Yeah, it was nothing. 
there's no like pushing doctrine or any of that. Sure, it sure. was just like sometimes the people were people that, you know, I don't know, were having trouble or had had troubles in their lives and things like that. And my dad's just kind of like best guy you could talk to i mean about almost anything yeah so everybody and everybody seems to know it not yeah. it's like it's not just for me apparently yeah which is fine but uh yeah it's so they he did that so you know like literally everybody that worked in the mccoys over the last 15 years knows my dad really well including people that i don't even know right and and then you know there's the people because <laughs> my dad is such a talkative guy sure uh so affable to everyone anyone sits next to him no problem just making conversation so I spent there for a few years. It got really weird where I would just be like at a bar or something, having a drink and um, talking to somebody I'd never met before. And then um, they'd find out my name and then they'd go, oh, you're Bob's son. And I'd be like, what in the world is going on here? It Dad. Happened, it happened like dozens of times. I'm not even nice. exaggerating. It kept happening. kind of cool. Yeah, no, it's great. I had no problem with it. It was just like strange, you huh. know, like yeah. it's entering your world a little bit. But um, uh, I don't have any problem. So, with it. so how did they meet? Oh, my parents, they were in, uh, at, I guess it would have been called SMS in Springfield okay. at the time in the 60s. So, yeah, my mom was going to school there. My dad was from West Plains, Missouri. My mom's from right outside of um, Springfield in a town called Billings. Okay. And so they both went to college there and they met, like went on a, uh, went on a double date with different people. And met on the double date is all that this story. Whole, of yeah, course, yeah. Of course, I get the whole, it's told to me like some sort of rom com. Um, every time my parents tell the story, or my dad tells, my parents don't tell, my dad tells the story. Right. Anyway, so they met then, and um, my dad moved to Kansas City after he dropped out of college. My mom stayed in college. My um, great uncles were up here, his, his uncles, Excelsior Springs, Kansas City area. So he moved up here and just got jobs and was working until my mom finished school. And then she, uh, they got married and she moved up here in the 60, I want to say it was like 67. Okay. And, um, yeah, that's where the Chiefs stuff started. Sure. Lynn Dawson sure. era Chiefs yeah, I mean, and Memorial Stadium still no Arrowhead yet. No, that, and, but that uh, was my mom taught in Liberty. At, uh, she taught at the elementary school in Liberty and 66, yeah. 67 was merger and Chiefs. Yeah, Chiefs Super Bowl come yeah. from Dallas, right? Right, right around then. My dad bought. I, I believe he's told me the first TV they purchased was just to watch the Super Bowl. Like he tells a story that when my mom would come visit him, he had this little apartment. And he would just sit around reading books eating spaghettios or whatever and then my mom would come up for the weekends um and they would go rent go to rent a center or something and rent a tv and buy a tv guide and watch and just hang out being a married couple for the weekend not go out and do anything wow just sit in the house and watch tv together mary tyler moore or, sure. or whatever it was all in the, the family it, yeah that girl or whatever it was that yeah. was popular in the late 60s <laughs> and uh that was what they wanted they just wanted to be domestic you know that way and so, but when the when the Dude, Super Bowl knowing, happens, knowing what you want's half the battle. I mean, yeah, if that's what you oh, want to do. Sure. Go do it for sure. And they still do. I mean, nothing has changed. <laughs> Sixty, you know, fewer, fifty-five years later, fewer trips to Rena Center. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, none of that. Yeah, nice, you know, nice screen. Um, but yeah, so it, yeah, I believe the story is that you know the AFL NFL Championship game, as it was called. Yeah, let's get a TV. And so they went and bought a color television. And that was the first one. Baller. And had people over and watched the Super Bowl. Nice. Before it was called the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's where they come from. And um, I spent, you know, a good portion of my childhood in Springfield because my grandparents and okay. um, 
I went to school there too. The, my first failed attempt at college was at SMS. Oh, really? Okay. Which is now, you know, for the younger listeners, now called Missouri State. Yeah. Now, and I can't keep them straight. Which yeah. Is what I met, somebody called it MSU the other day, and I was like, MS. Okay, I guess that makes sense. But yeah. I've never heard anybody say yeah. that. So I called it SMSU or it's, SMS. Yep. But, yep. Um, yeah. So, and then that got me the St. Louis connection. So I I moved to St. Louis for a while because I SMS was all St. Louis people, like ninety percent. I swear. And so I made all these St. Louis friends. I was like, oh, St. Louis seems like a cool place. I go to visit sometimes. So I moved there for a minute, but didn't wasn't for me. <laughs> so when you lived in spring, you didn't live in Springfield as a kid. You lived there no, college I would just spend years. Summers, you know, periods of time in the summer and then like ah, Christmas gotcha, break and gotcha. things in Springfield. Okay. So it was like, you know, that that's some like extra rich time. Yeah. Yeah. So you think of it almost as like much longer than a week or whatever. Uh, yeah. It is. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so did they, uh, in addition to this colored television for this, did they have a, a stereo? Were they pl- playing music when you guys were kids? Or? So when I was a kid, they had like the hi-fi, you know, wh- I don't know when they bought it. And this is an interesting stuff because it gets into the religion, the shift into the more religious lifestyle. So they had the, they have this like hi-fi, right? Like big silvery knobs and, you know, wooden speakers with black fronts and all this stuff. Yeah. And what I remember most was listening to Credence, like okay. as a kid, you know, down on the corner. Absolutely my favorite song at age five. <laughs> and um, That's a good and, one. And little frayed records sitting on the floor and all that stuff. And then I also remember the garage sale where they sold all their records <sighs> and the Beatles records and all that stuff that they had. And and it was like secular music out, right? So, when, oh, so they joined this church okay, okay. up there in northwest Missouri that then goes... No, no, uh, no secular music. That's not allowed anymore. Right. So for a long time in my childhood, it was like the only music I'd hear is like in restaurants and, you know, malls and stuff like some of the stuff that's real familiar to me. That's what it's from is like just hearing it in the wild, not because I could actually sit down and listen to <laughs> in it. The wild. And then, but then I had some of my rebellious times, like in, um, I was still in Excelsior Springs. Um, my friend Michael and I had a little tape player. And we had, it was like summer of 84, and we had Thriller and Purple Rain. Nice. And we listened to those, just like walking around the neighborhood, going into the wooded area by the neighborhood and listening to music I wasn't supposed to be listening to, you know. I could go on about Like, there, this is a whole journey for the, like, the um, forbidden fruit of secular music, you know. So I did like some Christian music growing up, like Christian rock stuff, stuff that sure. was, like, focused. Even some really stuff that would probably make my hair... Ugh, yeah, like White stuff Lion was like, and oh my god, Mister Mister, or like Carmen. You know who that is? Uh, that he did. He would do these big like evangelical shows, oh, like okay. at Kemper, and so they were massive. Wow! So there were the big youth evangelical things with music. You know, just stuff that. But I would eat up anything, and of course, I was a kid, and if my friends were doing it, you know, yeah. I'd go along. Michael W. Smith, crap like that. But then um, later, you know, my sister's a little older, so she starts getting out of the house, starts talking to me about in excess things like that nice and then yeah we would so if mom would leave us at home alone which it started happening because my sister was old enough to babysit me we'd listen to whatever we wanted she would have stuff and then it became for me um like the most rebellious thing i would do and i i think it was kind of and this will get us into one of the albums we're going to talk about um i would have these christian rock tapes right and if you remember how tapes worked, like if you bought a, you know, a tape from a record store, they would knock the tabs out of the top, right? The little holes. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to, uh, or no, they had the tabs in them. Yes. So yes. that if you put it in a recorder, the little 
knob wouldn't be able to go into the to so you could record over it. So I would put tape over those so that the thing would record. Oh. And I had a dual cassette tape player. And so I would buy so my method was I would use whatever money I had and send it to Columbia House and yep. BMG and be in their tape clubs. Um, I would sign up one of them. I don't remember which one was which. One of them was rap and the other one was alternative. So this is when I'm early in high school. And our mailbox was at the end of this like half mile long gravel road. So I was like, hey, mom, don't worry about the mail. I'll get the mail. That'll be one of my chores. Oh, that's great. So I would go down there. And check the mail every day. And every month, they would just send you a random tape of whatever genre you picked. So I would get these rap tapes. I'd get these, like, so I remember Jane's Addiction coming in the mail. I remember um, Red Man, this, like, first album coming in the mail. All this, like, the rap ra- stuff. Reg- oh, oh rap. the rapper. The yeah, rap- the rapper okay. Red Man. Okay. And so then I'm, like, come home, and here's the mail, and the tapes are in my pocket. And then I would go dub those tapes over to the Christian rock tape. Cut. So I would record over the Christian rock tape with each side of the secular tape, uh, rap tape, and then if they looked at my Walkman, oh, it looked like wow. I was this She's crafty. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I had a whole lot. But one of those albums was Tribe Called Quest Low in Theory. Okay. Right? So that comes in the mail. Never even heard of them. So that's the other thing about this. When Red Man came, I never heard of Red Man. I had no idea. Right. Occasionally, if I could get to the um, Tape World or Camelot or something in the mall, and my parents weren't around. They let was me there roam. A, was there a mall in Excelsior? Uh, no, we would go to Metro North Mall okay. in North Kansas City okay. or sometimes St. Joe. Wow. Uh, to a mall there because that was maybe technically closer. But, sure. Um, Metro North was the mall I grew up on between nice. both Excelsior Springs and Northwest. Good Missouri. memories, fun times. Oh, adore Metro. Miss it. Wish it was still there. Right. Went there. I, I Whenever you could still go walk around there and there was no stores in there, I even went, Patrick Kraft and I went in there and walked sure. around one time because it was like, he grew up up there in North Kansas City too. So anyway, um, so uh, I learned, about, I had to learn about rap music all on my own. That's insane. Because believe me, it was frowned upon by everybody. Well, you, Not and- only in the church I went to, but in everybody in the town. You know, nobody, it was bad, bad music, right? So I mean, are you... Like headphones, yep, like little, Walkman? those little foamy yeah, yeah. Walkman headphones. Okay. Or um, if mom and dad's out of the house, let the speakers go. Yeah, yeah. And um, then when I got to drive, now once the car came in, it was so much freedom. Yeah. But um, that's crazy. That was and where you rap, stuck so with rap, it. Oh like yeah. You were fa- like with it's a big deal. Rap is uh, very appealing, very fascinating, very fun, very lovable. Like you can, but without one other person to For, like it took a while to find somebody well uh, yeah. but you i'm assuming in, during that while you're continuing to log mm-hmm. and it's, it must have been amazing when you found a person you'd be like oh my god i gotta well, talk to you about this there was like this one guy in my high school who's who was sort of like one of those quiet he wasn't like anybody else and he was um he wasn't in any group click or whatever and i didn't really know him but then um I met this one guy who kind of was buddies with him and, and it turned out this guy's mom like or dad lived in Kansas City. So on weekends he would go to Kansas City and there were kids in the neighborhood or whatever he knew and he started learning about rap from the city folk, you know? Sure. <laughs> and so he started telling me, I, I can remember the one, the one bit of advice he gave me was, if it's got that parental advisory sticker on it, it's good. Just remember that. <laughs> 
told me that. And I was like, I took that to heart. I even had that T-shirt, you know. No that, kidding. Uh, later. Yeah. But that, uh, yeah, like Woody Harrelson wears that in White Men Can't Jump or something. Have you and, uh, ever, like, watched any of the footage from those hearings with Zappa? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, especially D- like D. Snyder. D. Yeah, Snyder yeah, for sure. and John Denver. I mean. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, the, I recently watched the D. Snyder because somebody was trying to attack D. Snyder on Twitter. And, of course, part of it is because certain people co-opt his song, the you know, We're Not Gonna Take It song. And he always, like, holds back nothing in, like, lambasting those people yeah, for yeah. doing that. And um, You miss so the I've thing. Recently, Wait, you're... Seen, yeah. You're, you're, you understand I'm talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, he, so occasionally, you know, then through Twitter and so on, you'll see these, like, footage of him, you know, at those hearings, and I've seen him on Zappa lots of times. It, I remember dude, Zappa from the time. I don't remember Zappa from the time, just, but Zappa. Yeah. There's lots and of... And on, like, talk shows and stuff, too. Yeah. Well, for sure. But the from, specifically from the PMRC hearings, he, I mean, he showed up. He looked like a lawyer, like a briefcase I know, he was stacks. so different in the 80s. <laughs> well, I mean, but he was so prepared. Yeah. And there's lots of footage where the politicians are like, fuck, like, get this guy out of here yeah and he just relentless 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 oh god it's yeah. so good no there's been a, a few little bits from talk shows and things i've seen where he would just like sitting in a chair suit on just like all the other like political more political winston's of guy, and just able to come back on everything that they're saying it was great but yeah so that during that time yeah of course yeah with tipper we hated tipper gore and all that you know like, yeah uh, and um yeah, so anyway, during that time, so low-end theory was one of the big ones. Um, in the It shows up in the mail. I've okay. never heard of Tribe Called Quest in my life. I might, I can't even think if I... How I long were you doing... I might have heard them on a day last... I might have heard Q-Tip on Saturday or something on the day last soul track. It's really hard to remember the timeline of those things, but nevertheless... How long were you doing the... How long did you keep the taping uh, over time, time was. I didn't have to do it too long because okay. once I had the car, ah. things started to loosen up. Okay. I can remember. There's a specific demarcation point where my dad became fully aware of what was going on and, and decided he didn't care anymore or wasn't going to do anything about it. And or, that was... Or realized that they probably... They did a good job building... You, uh, all right, you got all the things we... You, you know, can make your own decisions about this. Yeah. 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 But I know that you're going to go out there and like be polite and have good manners and right. tip well. Be a good human. Well, the other thing about... We can go back to my dad for just one second. My dad, while... Um, and I don't think he'd have any problem with me saying this, he allowed himself to get duped by a con man. Oh, man. At the church, which 100% the guy who was the pastor of our church was a con man. I mean, I don't know how if anybody from those days would deny that. He kind of let himself get duped into this, like, manipulative, manipulative thing. Um, and, um, you know, I'm not going to go into sure. Christianity too much, but he is the most thoughtful person. <laughs> like, he does not take things on face value anymore. And even back then he started shifting. So I think that he started just realizing, well, just because he listens to music, specific music, it's not damning him. He's not going to hell because he listened to a thing. It's ridiculous. It's pretty you insightful. Know? And, and you know, over the years he's become would... very thoughtful about things and very smart. You know, Pl- plenty of people intolerant don't, and, yeah. and they just know. dig in har- harder. But and it, then it becomes, it con- I think it consumes you eventually. It's blind to everything. And so he was never like that. So it's somewhere along the line, even though he stayed in that church for longer than he probably should have, he started to kind of realize, you know, he needed to loosen up. But the, the moment that I can remember was I 
So I bought the tape, the original Body Count tape. You remember Ice T's Body I, Count? I saw the him, original one with the song "Cop Killer." I on saw it. him at Arrowhead. Yeah, with Guns N' Roses, Metallica, yeah, right? Yeah. And I had that tape. Of course, I didn't let my parents know I had the tape or anything. But then the um, controversy hit like big time, and Warner Brothers made him take the song off and all this stuff, and people were protesting outside of Warner Brothers and all this. And I remember I was watching the nightly news with my dad and they're talking about the song and they're going to all the details and my dad grumbles about it. And then I say, so dad, just so you know, I have that tape. He's like, oh, okay. And that was about it. After that, I didn't hide anything anymore. Wow. It was just like kind of like that. It kind of felt like, oh, if I can tell him that and he didn't go into my room and and ransack it, you know, (laughs) that I mean, I think it's okay. So after that, it became no problem. And, um, then there was the matter of being an out outward hip hop lover in a small town, <laughs> which was also like, it took a minute. I get, I got called names, you know. Um, yeah, really. You know, you can guess the name uh-huh, I was called. Hundred uh-huh, percent. starts with a W. I, I bet. Well, no, it got started with an N. Oh, that's. But there were two words involved. Interesting. You know, I, I was a lover. Uh, you know. Oh you know, gosh. And um, that oh got, boy, that, that, that went away pretty quick. God actually. bless you, Missouri. Yeah, it was. I mean, we're talking about one hundred percent white town. You know, county. I, bet, I, bet. I think the county was one hundred percent white outside of like two adopted kids, and um, I loved that though. I was like, that's kind of part of what I did it for. I think was to be a bit of a, I guess, from their point of view, a contrarian or whatever, hmm. or okay, or just rebelling against this crap because I really hated, and that was one thing my dad was really great about, and my mom both. Really great about never inf- infusing me with any bigotry towards race. Oh, good. There was some homophobia growing up, <laughs> kind of automatic biblical style homophobia, but that's all gone away too. But at the time, but I remember being taught that's the worst word in the English language By your from parents? a very early age. Yes. Oh, good. The, good. At the N word. And so I hated that kind of stuff. So if I was going the other way, all the better, right? Yeah. And um, after a while, though, I, I will say it didn't take long. Like basically, Dr. Dre, the chronic comes out. Suddenly, everybody's a hip hop fan. Yeah. It was really weird. I mean, and everybody's smoking weed. That was the other thing, too. It was like before that, nobody smoked weed unless you were one of the kids that, you know, didn't show up for picture day for the yearbook or whatever. Right. Um, and then Chronic and Cypress Hill come out. Suddenly, everybody's smoking yeah. weed. It was a really yeah. interesting time. Yeah. But, and not too long after that, we're getting uh, uh, different versions of songs on the radio and. Mm-hmm. and MTV is blurring out shit yeah. in their videos, and it's like, what? So they're smoking. They're not smoking Indo. They're smoking, smoking. Yeah, remember? yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and what was the Tom Petty? Uh, Nounge. Let's smoke another Nounge. <laughs> I, I can what? remember all that stuff. What? Yeah. What is that? I, yeah. Why was MTV so stuck on not having marijuana? a pot leaf visible? It's so bizarre. Because it was like not too terribly removed from like. The Judas Priest records are making our kids kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Ah, oh yeah, and well, they, they I grew up in that. Yeah, well, they don't. I'm MTV's like we don't want to be. Hey, you're making our kids smoke pot. You know, I guess uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just I'm totally throwing a blind. One dart. of the weirdest like prejudices we've ever had as a country, like marijuana, and we don't have to get into well, it all mo- that, but money. It was, like, it was all it was just money. money and Dupont and political power yeah, yeah, yeah. and Hearst. Hearst yep. not wanting. Hearst wanting to buy people to buy paper pulp and not hemp pulp to make their papers well he owned I, he owned paper mills with and trees not hemp yeah <laughs> you know, but also uh alcohol 
manufacturers st- yep. were afraid, I think, to lose sales. Right. Yeah, for sure. Because you drink a little less if you toke the dudes. Yeah, I don't or know. There's some sense of co- for some reason there's some sense of competition there. I don't believe it exists. I believe people do plenty of drinking and smoking all together. <laughs> I don't know what they're for thinking. sure now. For well, sure yeah. now. But um, so uh, and that was the other thing. You know, it's interesting you bring up MTV. We didn't have it. Right, um, right. Even, right. even if not only did I not have it, my town did not have it. You had to have a satellite dish to get uh-uh. it. Yeah, so only a few of the rich kids that lived, and typically they lived in the country yeah, you know, yeah. outside of the town where you could have a big dish. And um, so I didn't know. I didn't you pull see into their City yard anything, and it looks right? like a Star Wars set. Right. Big thing in the yard. It's gigant, and you have to go out and move it somehow. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> and it was a, um, so we were all stunted musically because we weren't getting the new stuff from MTV. And then, um, then I met a guy in high school. So I'm like a sophomore in high school or junior, I think actually. So I'm fully a hip hop fan at this point, but I'm still a self-taught guy. And then I meet this guy from a nearby town who has a satellite dish. Who's also a hip hop fan. It's like, come over to my house. So like summer vacation, me and my buddy would drive over to his house and watch rap city on, um, BT or wow. go MTV raps. Yeah, okay. Suddenly it's all, uh, I get to see it now. I've, I can see tribe called quest and, um, Public Enemy, Public Enemy. I remember them on Saturday Night Live yep, as well. It was yep. a big moment. So um, all that formative stuff, like built my hip hop fandom. And um, I mean, the reason why I handed Low End Theory to you as a as an album, I could have chosen, I don't know how many. One reason is because it's still so strongly in my rotation. It's just, I mean, there's something about some of the stuff I listened to back then, like the aforementioned Red Man. Red Man, one of the great MCs of all time. I don't want to listen to his music anymore. It's too I mean, occasionally I'll listen to some, but it's really aggressive it's, and misogynistic and all these things that I'm just like, it aggressive. It doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me anymore. Yeah. And I'm I, like, again, this isn't me going, it shouldn't be that way. Not at all. It's just me choosing what to listen to from day to day. Yeah. Also, Archer can listen to a tribe called Quest. Um, he, he's smart enough to know that when that word that we've ta- been talking about comes up, that it's different them saying it than him saying it and that they again passing on the that's the worst word in the english language spelled differently than the people that were calling you whatever they were right completely different the context and he seems to get the context i was a little worried about that word at first because just for accidents you know yeah like what if he says that word (laughs) in school you know no problem there so i can listen to tribe called quest a lot and it just holds up man i I don't know if there's any i mean there's lots of other hip-hop that holds up but there's something about those guys there's something about um so they're part of uh, uh what was native, native tongues yes yeah. so it's tribe de la jungle, jungle brothers, brothers and then a, a kind of a long some, list some others some other that aren't as common brand nubian the far side brand nubian right queen well, latifah far sides from the west coast um, well i saw them on a list that was, yeah they might i mean they're definitely in the same um you know, have the same sensibility, but and they were also a big one early on for but me too. Yeah, you, I, I know. Trust me, I get how much of beating a dead horse this is. But if you look at those, what those outfits were putting out, mm-hmm. and uh, again, get old, get off my lawn when I was your age, and and put it side by side with some of the stuff that is coming out, some of the stuff that is being made today doesn't sound very inventive 
and I'm not, I don't, I don't dive in there. I don't listen to it. So I'm, I'm really, it's like, you might as well be asking me college football questions because I'm not, I'm far from an expert, but I feel like they, you know, the sonic landscape, like they, those artists back then, they, they were just filling everything exactly the way that it was meant to be filled and yeah. just a lot of, a lot of cool, you know, some static here. Oh, a little more polished here. Good beats. And the beats aren't ever, you're not ever going to be able to not hear these other few things. Mm-hmm. R- really good raps. Yeah. Uh, and like fun co- kind of inviting feel to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's but not it, without meaning. hundred percent. hundred percent. To me, the, I'm with you. Like I, um, there's some newer stuff I I like, okay, and I'm not certainly not going to be the person that says, well, it's not hip hop, right, right. But I mean, to my old ears, a lot of the stuff that, and I hear it a lot. Like I go to the coffee shop I go to every day, they listen to a lot of like new rap, like Lil Yachty, what, what coffee, Kendrick shop is Lamar, this? Second Best Coffee, which is a fantastic place over by your place, yeah, in, on eight, uh, 85th and yeah, right okay. next to Chili's. Okay, and um, I love the place, of course, and I don't mind the music. Like, some of it's uh, like some of it's still head naughty, you know, like at, at the end of the day, if you can nod your head to it, it's, it's got value. But I always, here's what, when I first started hearing this stuff, I always said, it, it sounds like the temp track to a rap. So like, it sounds what like, is, what does that mean? Like you're just laying down the basic rhythm to rhyme over and then you'll fill in the samples and all the other like nuances and uh, depth and, you know, more tracks. And yeah. to me, like sometimes the beats sound like a click track. Like that you would listen to just so you knew the rhythm of the song. Well, uh, there's and a dude. So it's very minimalist, which is, I guess, part of what they're going for. But then the rhymes can be very samey, uh, where it's just kind of the same exact, like, da 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 da. And, and I'll be like, well, it's kind of interesting for one track. Is the whole album like that? Kind of seems like it might be. To me, I like the very, I like the MCs, like um, Rock Him, still my favorite MC of all time. Um, Anybody through that, you know, the Q-Tip, all the guys on Tribe Called Quest, um, even all the way up in like Eminem and people like that, where it's like, it's an instrument. It's like, and we're going to talk about John Coltrane a little bit. I'm not comparing rhyming necessarily to the complexities of jazz. There are similarities though. And I think that like you write something or you're taking something off the top of your head and you're doing it in a way that flows through the music or over the rhythm or even over melodic, melodic bits of a song and it and it works it weaves through and comes out somewhere where it's not just following well there's a, a the a, beat you a know dude i i, I want to say is, I, I might butcher this i want to say it's like charlie puth p-u-t-h mm. anyway uh he i've seen him on tiktok mm-hmm. and he his little his videos are he'll you know and then he, he's recording it and he can like mess with the tone and put it on a loop and then and then make like four more tracks with mm-hmm. that same or maybe he picks up a different thing and hits it mm-hmm. i've seen a couple of videos says well the other day i saw uh he was on fallon like this week maybe the the clip is recent um and he gets uh somebody brings him an empty tonight show mug and a spoon and they put a, a like a, a little keyboard and a laptop and some something else in front of him. Right. And he like in forty five seconds cobbles together something that was like you know yeah. head not and 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 it also sounds today ish, mm-hmm. you know. And so it, it, it 
a lot, I think a lot of the qualities that I mentioned a minute ago about those group, like not only fun and warm and inviting, but it felt like they worked substantially hard to put those tracks together. Yeah, well, you'd, you'd have to dig through crates. So, so let's talk about Q-Tip for a second in Tropical Quest. So Q-Tip's dad was a, a jazz collector. So he grew up with this massive collection of records in his house all his life, right? So when it came time to start making beats, like when you listen to Tribe Called Quest records, it's like this you know, great pastiche of jazz bits, great right? Great word, great word. And that's what I love. Like to me, that's what a hip hop beat is. Like my favorite stuff is sample. I love samples. I love when the bass line of the song is a bass line from a song brought in not like there's great beats like dre you know dre lays down bass lines like um um let me ride for instance one of the best bass lines of all time but there's a guy playing bass there i'm 99 sure I mean, and it's so round and rich and perfect uh nothing against that at all but i love it when they go into a jazz record and they there's like a, a part where only the bass is playing and he plays something it's a bass line for a measure and they pull that out, put it into the sampler. You know, they sample it and they put it into the NPC or whatever it is that they're making the beats on. And that's what I love about hip hop. That's like what hip hop is to me. Yeah. And I like that it sounds a little dissonant and it sounds a little dirty because it's off of a vinyl record. And I, all those things put together. And then somebody rhymes over it in a way that doesn't just add words, it adds another instrument right. to it. You know, so again, rock him the best to me just like the he's like the coltrane of mc and um that's hip-hop to me and i and i think there are still people to, i don't want to say that there aren't people still doing this There's lots of people still doing all that stuff yes but what i hear yes. more is the other thing yep and that's fine yeah and um i'm certainly not going to condemn no a generation of people because look what i had to go through it, just it, to listen to rap music yeah. you know so uh but, but you yeah. know to two two of my first notes uh one's just a a, a line for that i mean great opening track mm -hmm. <clears throat> before and before i had status and before i had a pager like you le legit like had to earn both of those things <laughs> and now i feel like i had you can a pager just... i didn't earn it what? oh really <laughs> i got a pager just for I, it's certainly I'll, I'll admit it now i had a pager just as a it was like a piece a of prop. jewelry nice you know? okay I, okay I mean, Look, it helped me get a hold of some friends sometimes, but I didn't need a page. No. It's ridiculous. I'm, but I'm mildly I mean, ashamed of it now. I think, like, uh, legitimately having status pre-internet, like, like that was you didn't just wake up one morning with that. No. Oh, my shit went viral, and now everybody wants to see, you know, yeah. what I have to say. And a pager, I mean, typically uh, wasn't free. No, uh, and not. like there were people that needed to get a hold of you somewhat regularly. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, but, he, he's got a pager. So, cause so the guys from Daylock can get a hold of him to come to the recording session to be on the record. Cause he's so good. Yeah. You know, and like, that's what you're talking yeah. about. The status, yes. the earning it. And, um, in a world coming up in a world, uh, the rap world of New York city in the eighties and early nineties, highly competitive borough centric. Right. So they're Queens, and you got to go to the Bronx and you got to get noticed in South Bronx where everybody thinks hip hop, you know, hip hop was born and everybody thinks hip hop is. And then guys from Brooklyn have to come up, you know, and all that stuff and all those stories. Um, 
about how hard it was to come up in New York at that time is also fascinating to me. Very so really, fascinating. To get where Tribe Called Quest did, they really had to earn it. And they did. I mean, look at the Immaculate well, Beats. This particular record, too, I could have picked Midnight Marauders because that's probably the one I've listened to more of the two. Because when that hit, I was in college and that was, I did have MTV and I did see the award tour video and watched it every single day. Um, that one's like a cleaner record in a lot of ways. Yep. Like, and it has the interstitials in it, which I was okay with then, but nowadays I'm kind of like, I kind of don't want I love them. I love them. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I tell you what, I'm not, not, as I've not across older, the board. I'm I not love a them skit on that guy record. Anymore. I'm not a skit guy anymore. Uh, De La, like the early De La taxes me a little bit. I love the tracks, but then the skits are like, can I just skip the skit? And like, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. And then, De, then my favorite De La records are post Prince Paul, like the, the uh, balloon mind state. And I think Prince Paul was still kind of around for that one. And then stakes is high where the, they got rid of because Prince Paul was the Wait guy pushing the skits. I thought uh, I thought uh, Stakes is High was there. Was Stakes is High ninety six or no? Was it earlier? Yes. No, ninety six. Okay, so that was they produced that record themselves. Uh, Prince Paul was gone, and I think Prince Paul might be produced two songs on Balloon Mind State, but they were trying to they were like moving on. Okay, from him. okay, but Prince Paul, if like, like if you what was it, that album called Prince of Thieves, I think that he put out himself is like seventy five percent skits. <laughs> it's like good God, man, uh, we get it. I mean, that shit came out in Day Law. I was like, we made the right like oh, see, yeah. but uh, not that I don't love every Day Law record. Don't get me well, every one of them between Day Law Soul is Dead was not very very good. skitty. Okay, but some of the tracks on Day Law Soul is Dead are amazing. But it's like kind of frustrating, especially when I used to do the little DJing I would do. Yeah, yeah. It's like I want to play Day Law, but. I'm playing, uh, uh, you know, I was playing digital. I was playing digital track, you know, digital files. Yeah. So it's like, how do I? I got to cut this out to get, and it was like hard to do. Yeah, yeah. And I could only imagine what some of the vinyl uh, yeah. DJs were like. Man, I want to drop. The, I got to drop the needle right here. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. But um, all this, so so they but low they, end theory is nice and clean, or, or it's, it's not, not. I mean, Midnight Marauders is cleaner, but with the little interstitials. Low in theory, not so much of the interstitial stuff, and dirty. Like it's weird, like rhythmically strange. It, the different tracks that fl- it has like an odd flow to it, mm-hmm. and it I does. really, I really enjoy that about it. It feels a little bit like a jazz record in that sense. Well, also by the time, I th- in my opinion, by the time you get to Midnight Marauders, mm-hmm. if you're consuming relatively in a relatively timely fashion as to when the records are coming out, if you're consuming them, you know. Um, they by the time Midnight Marauders come out, they know who they are really well now, and so do we. Mm-hmm. So it feels very, very tribe. Yeah, uh, low in ther- theory, and even people's instinctive and uh, like all that's s- s- sort of like searching a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. and it works. It's good. Mm-hmm. Not to say that this is better and this is worse, but it, I think it it translates. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the beats rhymes in life is a very um modern for the time modern record like i always felt like they were using J- oh it was it jd was um producing some of those early before anybody knew who he was and it was like very specific jd is uh, like jay dilla he came oh, to be known okay. yeah, yeah. um he did stuff with the far side back then he did something yes, that yes, kind of yes. wasn't known i actually didn't even know who he was until um i heard oh man it's been so long since i've listened to him um the Detroit outfit that he produced for. What um, is wrong with me? 
I can't remember them now. It's this is a brain fart thing because I a, really should know who they well, right off the top of my head. But anyway, that was where it was like, oh my god, these beats are so insane. The the MCs were okay. It was that record was much more about the beats, and I had more. I was starting to get more like where I was hanging around in hip hop circles and Lawrence and so on. So really? these guys were all geeks, fun, and knew all the details. And I was like, oh, so Jay Dilla comes out, JD, we called him yeah, at the yeah. time, and then. Um, now he's, you know, he came in really famous with donuts and all that stuff, you know, but, um, he did some beats on that and then Q-Tip's doing beats and all these beats around the life's a great record, but it sounds a little commercial. Maybe okay. That's the word I'm looking for. Well, I was, uh, six total records for Tribe and, and I, my note about the discography is that, I, I, I need to revisit Beats, Rhymes, and Life because for whatever reason, I just, like, I, I the title of that record is familiar to me, mm-hmm. but it's like an empty file, and I'll probably recognize it when I, but I, it's the least listened to, except for uh, We Got It From Here, Thank You For Your Service from 2016, which I've never listened to. It's really good. Is it really? Yes. Okay. I was shocked at how good it was. Okay. And some of it, I mean, it just has these big, dense, rich beats. Nice. And then some guest performances that are really great, too. Cool. Um, I love it. Yeah, Andre 2000 shows oh, up on shit. one, and it's really... And I'll, I'll, I love Outkast, and I love everything they've done, and they've kind of ventured almost out of the hip-hop zone in a way. Like, they just do their own thing. It's just... This is outcast music. I don't even know if I call it hip hop anymore. It sure it is, but you get what I mean. Right, right. And then he comes on and just drops a rhyme for the first time I've heard it in a long time where it's just a straight up, I'm an MC and I'm just going to rhyme on this thing. And I was like, man, he's still good. <laughs> he's still really good. Um, that one's a good one. I need to listen to that one again. I haven't listened well, to it in a couple of years, but Love the, Movement, never listened to it very much. Oh, all. I love the Love Movement. Yeah, I should probably revisit it. Oh, man. By then I was like... I mean, I don't. I probably was like that. The name of it was a turnoff to me, or something. Sure, you sure. know, it was like but some weird mental thing. Like what it, my idea for of me is for me, it, like love movement, and then I don't know if we're ever going to see the end of the Tommy Boy Daylaw dispute where their stuff oh, is not on. I streaming. thought it was supposed to have happened already. November last yeah. November. Yeah, and so anyway, and I got some. I got some vinyl, and I've got a couple of CDs still. I think I have everything. And you can still go to YouTube, but um. yeah. Um, oh, so Love Movement comes out right around the same time that they basically announce that they're going to put out this trilogy mm-hmm. and, and put out the first installment, uh, AOI, Artificial Intelligence. Yeah, right. And so, and then we got Bionics, the second installment, and the third one. They still never put it, but anyway, the well, they po- did that one record. I can't remember what it's called. Now. That's the only one, or there's two of them that you can stream, but they're much later. Y- yes, but yes. I've never really. I'll be honest, but, I've never really listened to them. Love movement and are the artificial intelligence mm-hmm. trilogy uh, came out like uh, um, after I was aware of those guys. Okay, so I'm like playing catch up, you know, like trying to consume the tribe and the De La discographies. And then when they both are putting, I'm like, yeah, I, I fucking, I know what's up. Like, yeah. you know, so I, 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 I mean, I think the love movement's a, a pretty good record regardless, yeah. but I was geeked out for that reason. I want to check it out. Um, it, I remember, I, I've definitely listened to it, but for one reason or another, I just didn't keep listening to it or it happens. absorb it. Um, the other one of, I mean, there's so many movement movements. There's so many moments in, uh, low in theory, um, that I really, really love. And mm-hmm. I, I love the whole, I love the thing as a collective, but um, 
I I would have to go back in for prop two two full fresh recent listens mm-hmm. to feel so anyway I just have one other uh and it's it's what mm-hmm. um yeah like the second to last track right uh, second to last or last I forget I which scenario is the last right you're right yeah. you're right so second to last and it's such a good record already and then what is just really so good. and and uh and then scenario is the only hit, hit? yeah yeah. And it's crazy. They put it at the end. Yeah. But I can see why that it's kind of a gang up record or gang up track, like where you like bring in some guests sure. and everybody, you can kind of picture them all yeah. standing around yeah. and like everybody gets behind Buster Rhymes when he's <laughs> rapping and he's like pushing them behind him and all that stuff. They used to do all that fun stuff where they were all wearing like big coats. Yeah. And there'd be guys, and it was like the guys were trying to like step in front of them for some reason. And yeah. they're, while they're they rhyming, they're like pushy. pushing them back. Yeah. I yeah. don't know why yeah. they did it that yeah. way. Oh, but bust, busted and all that. Yeah. Like, super high energy. There, uh, no shortage of tall hair. Back tall in hair, his... big puffy coats. Yeah. Yeah. And just Busta had all that energy. You know, I loved him so much back in the like mid 90s. My favorite portion of what is 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 leads right up to the pause mm-hmm. and he says uh what is hip-hop hip-hop if it doesn't have violence chill for a minute mm-hmm. dougie fresh said silence yeah. and then there's a good one and a half two and a half of just and does it come, and then they kick back in does it come in on time i always feel like it's like slightly off time or something but it's kind of cool maybe i'm wrong i don't but i feel like I it's know. like that silence happens and then it's dun, 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 yeah I don't know. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah it is. Beautiful record. Uh, so when I when I first was thinking about uh, uh, this record, um, you know, and you you appear to know a lot more about uh, the genre and specific artists and discographies than I do, but I think that there has been for me a sort of a pull to Tribe and De La and Jungle and some of these guys because. Yeah. Uh, there's an element of mystery mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, it's, it's not like, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, but it's been a bit, been appealing. So I had the thought, like, what if you hosted uh, a foreign exchange student for a year and they are like totally fluent in, in English and they can write and read in English and they, they know, mostly they know music from where they live. Right. But some American stuff has, but they know a couple movies and they know a couple bands, but they're really hungry to like take a deep dive while they're here for a year into American music. Sure. How do you describe Tribe Called Quest to that person? Oh, and, man, I and don't know. Put what you hear into their mind. So they're like, oh, I would totally dig that. That's a really good because question. Because if you say that about the Rolling Stones, you're like, well, there's fucking Keith Richards and Mick Jagger and this drummer died and whatever i don't know with tribe i mean with any anything i'm kind of like you just gotta listen to it yeah you know a lot of times at work you know i work at a brewery where we brew all kinds of weird beer <laughs> and people say what what is that like and i'm like i'm gonna pour you i'm not what i could give you the specs well, you could say but if, you need to drink it there's two mcs and a dj and a yeah. rapper and there's this that's true of so many groups though you know there's this notion of of like you know looking through the crates and finding samples yeah. and mixing things and laying down beats and but that doesn't it's I like i don't know if that does anything for uh, that's no. inter- too intellectual you know like you i could go into like okay the history of jazz and what it meant to um black culture for instance like okay i only know that superficially myself and then uh or intellectually or like by reading about it and then 
the carryover of that into hip hop. And that's one of the other reasons why I think, you know, there's something so pure about um, that early era or that mid era, I guess. What's the, what's uh, the know, group like again? 88, like what's that? What, what was the collective of the group? Oh, the native tongues. Native tongues. Well, native tongues. And then so many of the other groups where it was just like, clearly the kind of music that you want to sample for hip hop beats is jazz. Like it just, the instrumentation, everything works. And then funk, you know, like, um, which a lot of that is jazz, like, right. So it's not just parliament, but you're talking about Herbie, right? Like your headhunters, like sampling, um, fusion albums, even some fusion albums you might never want to sit down and listen to, yeah. but you could pull some funky shit out of it yeah. and make a track, you know, like there's something about the history, history meeting the modern age. And now that modern age is now history to us. You get what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, there's this evolution of music through that, but all that's so intellectual. Yeah, and it doesn't have anything to do with music in a way. No, it has you're to right. do with music as an intellectual or as a cultural impactful thing. But you got to listen to it to know. Yeah. So to me, if somebody said, "Well, tell me why I should listen to Tribe Called Quest," I'm like, "I'll show you." Well, I was I I'm do. envisioning like you know you you you've met this person that they've traveled over, and and you've got you had to travel to to them for whatever reason. They're not I guess they're not flying into KCI, which is a 45. <laughs> and so now you've got to travel on a road trip back with them, gotcha. and it's going to be you got to get all the way back to the place where, to where the music is. It's apparently it's not in your car, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, I, I was like, this feels like trying to answer that question is like uh, somebody hands you a, a bag of parts, and they're like, build the thing, but you don't have the manual or mm-hmm. the picture. You don't know what it is, but you know for sure that all the parts are there. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I don't know. You know the but, thing, the thing about hip hop and like a specific, specifically this kind of hip hop. I think some of it can be like we talked about too aggressive or whatever, maybe. There's reasons to be turned off by certain things. But when I was younger, I would always argue with people that were like, I hate rap music. And I'd be like, it's at the end of the day, it's just a beat. It's just a, how could you dislike a drum beat? (laughs) You know, like you can't tell me that you, well, I don't like samples or whatever. Maybe, well, we all know what the real reason was probably most of the time. Nevertheless, I would, I would still get frustrated. I was like, "At, at the end of the day, you got, you should at least enjoy the beat. Like, I, I don't understand how you could hate that, yeah. but they did. Yeah. And arguments were fruitless. But um, well, uh, that's part of the thing about hip-hop is, like, listen to it and just, I mean, I don't know how drums can not get to you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. um, I want to dive into your other two, but I, I got to pee real quick and yep. check on the dog. So Sounds good. We're at 5.30. What are your people? Let's see what they, if they text me back. They're... You relatively invested in baseball i love baseball. non-royals baseball um invested enough yeah okay like, I, I enjoy it i love fall baseball man one of my favorite things is to like i haven't been able to do it this year find like an irish like irish pub get a guinness and watch baseball and like on a day like this that sounds fantastic great i i, I did it a lot in denver okay there was a lot of good there's a lot of good irish bars in denver you may have been to some um, yeah, and you could just it's, like you know, it's always nice in Denver, so they always have yeah. their windows doors open or yes. whatever, and you can Ugh. sit there and drink a Guinness on a crisp day, wearing a hoodie, and watch fall baseball, dude. Baseball I, that matters, baseball that has lots yeah. of energy. You know, I love. I, it. I uh, don't. I keep a handful of beers and boozes on the hand, but I only keep Guinness on hand in the winter, mm-hmm. and yeah, I and I don't put it in the fridge. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. I, and 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 I love it. It's an, I just don't want it cold. And I think a lot of bars keep it ten degrees warmer than other taps. But yeah. um, I also, not that I do this, but if I were to like drink a whole four pack or a six pack of Guinness, and I still feel like I have my faculties about me relatively. I don't know why that is, but well, most most uh, it's low ABV, right? Like I remember our four, 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 five or something. I don't know. Wasn't the old the the old dry stout at McCoy's was like four something? See, I always thought back then that I had it in my head that stouts and porters were higher. I know up. you just yeah. It's easy to why. think that way um, because they're dark and crazy. And yeah. Then nowadays, in Boulevard is the guilty maybe the guiltiest party. Everything's imperial stouts now. Uh, Everything's double. Everything's big ABV or barrel age. So it's just boozing up the whole thing no thanks i, I mean just, i gave you one i well, gave you one whiskey yeah. barrel stout <laughs> well I, I mean if you i don't want to take from you if you want to take this with you when you go i'll either drink it myself or give them to folks do, do whatever you want okay. i have so much beer man oh. and i drink like a beer a day right if if that. perfect yeah um but yeah you when you would hang out back then you, mm-hmm. you would I never, I don't have any memories of you being like a big drinker, but you would have, you would have more than one beer. I drink a lot. You drink a lot. Yeah. I used okay. to have a, I wouldn't say I had a problem because, um, when I realized I didn't want to drink anymore, it was heavily anymore. It wasn't a problem to stop. Okay. But, um, I drank a lot. Okay. In the day. Okay. Yeah. Um, we would do the, you know, the post shift. So there was that, those different phases of McCoy's where when I first got there, it was pretty much the wild, wild west and Kevin would. I stayed, so we were talking about Kevin Kim earlier. I stayed there the entire night one time with Kevin while his child was being born. Because remember, he was old-fashioned yeah, and wouldn't go to the hospital yeah. when his kids were born. Like, I can't remember. So this was like 2004, maybe, or three or four. And I just stayed there and drank with him all night. He just kept grabbing my glass and going to pour me. And I was drinking IPAs. Oh, my. And that was like, some of the worst drunks I ever had were from Newcomb's IPA at McCoy's. Once was up in Minnesota, even. Oh, wow. Funny. <laughs> I, I ran some kegs up there one nice. time. It was a disaster, and they never let anybody else do it again. Uh, I don't uh, <laughs> I don't remember you uh, being a, a huge, huge uh, cannabis guy back then. Are you today? I wasn't then, no. Yeah. But today um, is different? No, today I, I partake in order to sleep, mostly. Oh, so your waking hours are relative, like stone cold? Like, yeah, pretty much. Damn. Sometimes, you know, what I... And I don't smoke. I use uh, tincture. Okay. So um, sometimes I'll microdose. You know, it just kind of depends. Like what kind of day I'm going to have. Sure. If I got to go, I, I don't really want to be like that at work. I never have. Um, but I'll do a few drops. I like do like a little vitamin drink kind of thing. Sure. And I'll put a few drops in there and some uh, like MCT oil and all that. And then just have like a little microdosey kind of smooth day if I don't have to be responsible to anyone else that day at right. all. And then um, same day, I'll get home and I'll be done with my day in the evening and it's like Royals games coming on or I'm going to watch a movie. Um, then I might get high, you know, in the early evening. Sure. But most of the time, I don't dose until hour or two before bed. Okay. And then by the time I'm laying down, I'm ready to sleep. And that's what I use it for, for the most part. And what is your custody split right now? 50-50. No, I know, all, but what, how is it week and then week, week? I do weekend. No, we do. We split the week and always have. So we split up when Archer was six months old. Yeah. And so um, it just kind of fell this way because of work schedule. She, she has them Sunday through Wednesday or Thursday. 
Okay. And I have them Wednesday through Sunday or Thursday through Sunday. Okay. So it's like after school Wednesday, I pick them up like this week, and then I'll take them over to her house at 930 on Sunday morning. Okay. Or, um, or we meet in between or whatever. But she lives right down the street, so actually it's become this. Oh, really? Are yeah. you still in the same place where the Star Wars yes. fan club thing? Yeah. And then she's in Brook- she's technically in Brookside, but it's like I, I take it as a reason for our- to get Archer on a good long walk. So we get up on Sunday mornings and we have breakfast and watch some cartoons or something. And then it's like, get your backpack, get all your stuff to take to mom's and we're going to hike to mom's. So it's about 45 minute hike. Okay. Um, and you know, he whined about it a little bit at first, but now it's kind of exciting. Sure. And, uh, as long as we avoid any dogs off the leash, that's his like number one concern on walks. He got kind of chased by one, one day. I was just about to, did something happen? Yeah. Yeah. And I, boy, you wouldn't, you haven't seen me berate somebody like that. It's been a long time since I've had. And I couldn't help it, man. When you see your kid running and screaming and crying, it was like a pit bull rot. I couldn't tell even. It was all happening so fast. But it was. But a if big you dog. would have been your kid, you probably would have been equally scared. Yeah. I mean. Well, I mean, it was. Yeah. I mean, I was. Oh, sure. Anybody would be scared. Man. Yeah, exactly. The thing exactly. Is, is, I know it was a sweetheart of a dog. Right. I know it. But you just got to be responsible. You can't let people get scared. Yeah. And, you know, it's a kid getting chased by a big dog and he was terrified. So now it's like that's the adventure of the walk now. It's like, I think I see a dog over there, Dad. Maybe we should take the street. And it's like, okay, we will. That's fine. Well, we <laughs> we had uh, the first post the first year ish of uh, post amputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were still going up and coming down. Uh, every night and he actually if he when he was having anxiety he would go up you know he had a s- series of things that would whatever but uh going down started to become tricky for him and eventually going up was tricky also uh so it, he, he doesn't go up at all anymore um but where he was laying when you got here if you go out that back door there's a there's like a, a porch uh, three steps down to get to a porch. Mm-hmm. And so he could navigate that pretty well. And now uh, he's really timid about it. And I just this week saw him, saw what he has arrived at. He just jumps. Oh, wow. And okay. before it was like, you know, he slams that nub area three times to get down and then he's down. Mm-hmm. But now he's like, so t- that he's just, I'm like, oh my God, okay, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> the other option is to go the way that we went to let him out. Mm-hmm. That's it's a lot of hardwood because mm-hmm. the carpet's different, the grass is different. The con- so what I've been doing for the last four or five months, a lot of the times, uh, is I take him out the front door and I just let him be out there. Yeah. And one time, some I looked a few minutes later and somebody was like in the yard with him, like what? And I came okay. out and they're like, "Is he your?" And I was like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Oh, okay." We were wondering if he was anyway. The only other time, uh. I was doing something behind the bushes. I think I was filling the watering thing. And the I looked up and the male lady was like at the end of the driveway by the sidewalk. And she mm-hmm. was like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. And he, a lot of times he, I've heard, I've had people pull in to do an episode park in the driveway and be like, is it cool if I park here? And I'll be like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when he hears me say, yeah, that, brings his awareness that there's a person right because he doesn't anyway the, po- the postal carrier is like i didn't even know you had a doll and she was like do you want to come get your mail and i'm like are you worried about this yeah 
guy that can't hear you or see you and has three legs and would take him 40 minutes to get to right. anyway. But I, I get they it. They worry. I mean, yeah. I think yeah. they're kind of trained to worry. I think so. Yeah. I think so. But, it's better to be safe than sorry, I guess, from their point of view. Yeah, oh, 100%. And your dog, obviously, your dog off the leash is way different than this, like, I think, like, puppy maybe even like not puppy but like one-year-old two-year-old dog doesn't necessarily know bounding around and just wants to play with my kid but archer doesn't know that no and he's a little bit you know we have a dog but like i told you our dog is like zero energy (laughs) he just likes to lay around and so he's not used to dogs playing right so it was just like this big scary dog comes chasing him and it just gets your blood up you know and i was just like Leash your dog, you know. I just like couldn't help it. And then these people down the street, um, these two women were walking their dog on a leash, and they were they started yelling at them too. Oh shit! And it was just like, yeah, like, come on, everybody knows this. Yeah, like, and they the saw times. a kid getting chased around, and they were mad about it, and they weren't even they don't even know us. Yeah. You know? So it's like, just be responsible. You yeah. know, like your your dog's not chasing anybody. No, that's different. But, he'll, but if your dog's going to chase people, well, barking is all, it's just barking. Yeah. No bite. Right. So, I don't but, know. But you don't know unless you know that that's all he's got is yeah. barking. But And then the other thing about it is your dog, like, other dogs have to be concerned about other dogs. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I know your unleashed dog is okay with my dog at all? Right. And, like, my dog doesn't even, like, he hears, he hears like, barking and he's like, what? Like, that's his response yeah, to yeah. barking. Like, if there's a dog close by, he's like... What what are you talking get, about? Get, get <laughs> control of that. Like, I'm why are you making noises? To, yeah, <laughs> like I, he literally does not make a noise unless he's sleeping. That's awesome. Uh, but it, it would appear you know we very seldom see each other, mm-hmm. uh, so it's ninety nine point nine percent social media observation. But it would appear that things are continue to be good between you two. Oh, between me and my ex-wife? Yeah. Yeah. We did. We got through the divorce thing. Okay. Divorce is a poisonous, toxic thing no matter what. I'm convinced. Like, there's going to be some... It's For one thing, it's nerve-wracking. Yes. And now you... Sounds like you guys did it the way I wanted to do it. Uh, don't I couldn't for convince. a second oh, think I know. that it wasn't nerve-wracking. Oh, of course it was. There's still aftershock. Stuff comes up. To, anyway. Yeah, it's just... I think you're just on your... You know, heels, and I don't want to go into too many details. No, no, about no, no, it, no. But I'll tell you the day that the settlement happened, and it was all over, was just everything changed, and it was just like, okay, now that that's done, and there's no more contention, and there's no more competition, if you get what I mean. Where we have, we literally have hired a team to com- to. Oh, uh, don't get me started on the divorce lawyer shit, man. Jesus, but, uh, it's a racket. I feel. But, yeah, I feel like I've seen a post or two in recent months where the the three of you might be yep. out doing. She went to the Chiefs parade, the Super Bowl parade with us. Kay. She doesn't give a shit, <laughs> but she went. Um, he, she's he actually pro- starting to care a little bit. Well, now that her nephew's on the football team, oh, KU, right. now she wants to go to every KU game. And she's actually going to KU, getting a master's there. Oh, funny! So now all of a sudden, it's like in, I'm interested go, in these in things in person. Going yeah, to yeah, Lawrence, she drives okay. out there. Okay. Yeah. And, Stop um, by your all your relatives. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> no, but I do say you know you you realize you have family right practically there, but um and, and you know she went to that she, we went to Royals games together. We'll go to dinner together, um because my so if I were to encapsulate the reasoning behind getting divorced, um into one idea, it's that Archer I don't want Archer to ever see the things that happen between us that are negative toxic 
like belligerent, you know, where any screaming arguments, I just don't want them to see it. And there was a point where I was like, this is never going to stop. It's never going to get better. I can, I can know it and let's get divorced. And then, um, I want him to have the good things. So I'm not going to be like, well, we're not married. So we never hang out. That was, he probably I want him to it. see the, what could be like mom and dad getting along and he loves it. Oh, he loves it so much when we're, it's like, you know, football game the other day, we're leaving the football game, um, that he played in, you know, it's not my day to have him. Um, but he's like, comes up and knocks on my window in the parking lot and goes, Hey, do you want to go have dinner with us? I was like, of course, sure. And he's just so happy and has us all sit on the same side of the table (laughs) between us. And so all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I don't have anything against his mom at all. Right. Like things didn't work out between us, but it's very important to me that he gets as much positive as possible. So, well, I went, I went through that as a kid and saw the, you know, and, and that like, I didn't know at the time, but when I was really little and saw it, there was an element to that that was like, this is as good as it's going to get because even divorce didn't solve There was, it just, by the time I'm, you know, by the time you're deep into your rap and hip hop and an out, out, you know, and Mm -hmm. loving it and getting called things, I'm like layers into lying to Mm -hmm. both. Oh, sure. To just, because. Just so you can have, yeah. Avoid fights. Right. Um, So I, I, I really wanted to not, I wanted, like, that was what I wanted was to have a family and not have, you know, uh, se- separation and fighting and all these kinds of things. Um, and, and there was a point, um, God, he was two. I mean, there, she's about to turn 12. He just turned nine, uh, where it was a lot of that kind of stuff. This is not great. And it's no, no signs of changing. No, I don't improvement does not appear to be on the horizon. Um, and so that, that's a, a talking point constantly with me and them mm-hmm. because they, I feel like we're almost out of the weeds in the, the longing, wishing what happened kind wish, of, like, it, cause they have a memory of, of well, two well, being married, yeah. well, I don't, Maybe I, he I think he has very, very little right. and hers is shrinking. Yeah. Um, but, but there, there, there was this long, like, man, I just wish you guys still. And it was, and I, what I say, and I believe it in my heart of hearts is that, um, I know it doesn't feel this way now and this doesn't make any sense, but having it be the way it is, is way, way better than all of us under one roof and the fighting that would unfortunately be unavoidable. Yeah. And they say, no, I'd rather have, it's like, you, you say that now, but it's just, so I, but you, you, there's, you know, um, sometimes people from school, uh, or, or at games or active, whatever will occasionally be like, you guys seem to mm-hmm. have, and it's like, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a little up and down. It's a little left and right. It's a, but, but ultimately, uh, the wish is for the positive to largely outweigh the negative. And so uh, some people like they can't, not only will they never 
get there, they can't even like get out of the gate. Yeah. It's just like they're gonna be at odds. And sometimes you see the kid, and the kid is they they're doing great, and it's like, how are you like a sweet little smart person that's good at fill in the blank when you have this sort of and and sometimes you see kids that are not doing so well, and it's just like fuck, man. Departmentalization is something that a lot of people have, and some people don't. I I think I have it. Uh, I never had to go through any. My parents are still exactly the same. Yeah, and have always been. They've had their ups and downs as far as like finances and things that have caused the house to be a little bit tense. But um, and I've seen them argue, of course. But never has there been any danger of divorce right. or anything. Close well, you can to it. look at them right now but, today and be like, "Oh, they they love each other still. Oh, yeah, it's, it's working exactly the same." I'm telling you, it's crazy. It's a bad. It was a bad standard. I blame them sometimes for my expectations and <laughs> <laughs> relationships because it's like you guys made me think that yeah. I was going to magically find yeah. someone who would put they're, up with any th- bullshit. They're standing on the podium waiting for Princess Leia, to, and right. you're like. You fucking got, and they're like, "Wait, what? We did it's, it all right." Yeah, and all they did was just be lucky enough to find each other, really. You know, and right, yeah, um, and uh, that's just the way of things. Like once you realize that, you go, "Okay, okay, okay." That you know, it works for some, it works for others, and it's no one's to blame if it doesn't work, and no one's to. Uh, there's not some great skill if you yeah. can make it work either. It's just kind of, it's like well, meshing. It's like the right chemistry happening. We and were there's no controlling it. We were um, hanging out one time. And what was was the employee? T- was it forty two? Yeah, and and then the 42, yes. and then the little bench between the pillars was forty one. Uh-huh. So so sometimes, uh, if cuts were whatever d- mm-hmm. dinner service lunch forty two would be in your mind, it would be your destination. Of course, but sometimes it would be full, so you'd have to skip one more over. Well, was it forty six? The other one that Maybe. was behind it. So, but you're at now. You're at the one that's right by the service well, uh-huh. and oh, yeah, we yeah. were hanging out. There were there were other people, uh, and somehow your dad came up, and I, I was like, realize, I, like I knew that he he would come in, that people knew him, um, but to that point, I never like I thought you were just like hard, cold, you know, yeah. and and uh, I asked some kind of question about. The presence of your folks and and people knowing him and your your name and the nickname and so on. and and I was standing or no I was sitting and you were standing because I feel like I was looking up at you and I and you said well do you know what my dad's nickname is and I was like no and you go Bingle and it was like <laughs> literally that's without a, that's question Dylan made that one too the, but it was but it but you literally had a twinkle. <laughs> <clears throat> and it, the tone coming out of it was like yeah. the sweetest. I like I didn't know it was in there, mm. and I it resonated so much that I was like fascinated to think about like your family dynamics and how everybody. It, I I I could guess from that that everybody gets along fa- fairly well. And so oh, yeah. I mean, you're are you and your sister? Yeah. Okay, everything. I mean. Uh, Kind of a dream family, right? Right. So you mentioned Denver a minute ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I knew you also went up to Chicago for a minute. I lived in Chicago for a very short minute. Okay. Like that was when I was, you know, we were working together at McCoy's. Yes. So I was at McCoy's for a couple of years, maybe a year and a half, and then like my roommate at the time and a couple other guys I knew, um, I worked with the video store and stuff. Were like, we're going to move to Chicago. I was like, sounds good. 
<laughs> and part of it was because I had a. It was one of those things where you have a girlfriend and then you break up and then you're feeling depressed and you just want to get out of the out of the whole world that you're in. I just wanted to escape. So I make this decision to move to Chicago and I move up there and have an even worse experience with a girl. Oh no! And all drugs and things. It okay. was like a big mess. Wow. And um, yeah, like here, here's what happened. Um, I'm. My roommate and two other, me, my roommate, two other guys are all going to move up there. We find an apartment for, with four rooms. Um, everything's going to go great. And then the guy who was my roommate here bails. It's like, shit, how are we going to afford this place with three people? We got to find another guy. They go, well, there's this other guy from Kansas City who's been living up there a while and just so happens that he's needs a place now. Wow. Don't know this guy, but um, we bring him on. And he's a cocaine dealer. Oh shit! So that made things. Does that mean too free, co- free cocaine for everyone? Free or too easy to get or whatever? However you want to. So not only was that already kind of a thing, that was kind of a McCoy's thing at the time too. I didn't know yeah. until like my second or third St. Patrick's Day. Okay. Literally, literally lots I mean, of I'm, people were doing you know, cocaine I'm back there on shift. <laughs> I'm back there. Uh, you know, I got like yeah. very few, and, and then. I remember late, like dinner services kind of wrapping and, and, and uh, I, I'm starting to see, uh, yeah, like, lots of people. and then I said something to somebody was like, Oh, you don't know. And I was like, no, what? You know, most of the people that don't have like, they can't keep their nose yeah. from running. I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. Is there like, and they're like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay. So that was right. happening. I remember that that was like the summer leading up to moving and I'm trying to make as much money as I can. So I'm like, I'm all sped up and working as many shifts as I can. You? So I'm working these, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, so then I get to Chicago, and I'm not going to keep doing that. That's not the idea of going to Chicago. <laughs> or it, it, it really was kind of a help me work doubles four times a week so I can make as much money as I can. And then I get to Chicago, and then it's like, oh, by the way, I have a supply of it at all times in the house. It was, and so then not only that, but then a girl comes over to buy cocaine from my roommate and I immediately, we immediately have this huge attraction and start dating heavily right away. Well, first of all, red flag, buddy. Like you just met, you just met a girl too with your drug dealer roommate. Probably not a good, right. good foot to get you out. You never know what's down it, that alley until you walk to the it, end of it, it, right? Well, I mean, you know that it's going to be a lot of cocaine use. <laughs> um, that's That was the problem. So we ended up having this very tumultuous, you know, crazy time. I couldn't find a job. That really made money and all this stuff. So that's when I bounced back to Kansas okay. City pretty quickly and came right back to McCoy's. And that was the beginning of my real time at McCoy's. Like I was like, oh, I come back and me and Adam are really good friends. So me and Adam start hanging out all the time. And like me and Adam and Tatton Brockman hanging Funny. out when he was still doing the brewer's assistant. So he and I, we would all ride around just having a good time all the time. And that's where it all kind of started becoming like everybody's hanging out. Everybody's partying. Cool. McCoy, uh, McCoy's to Harry's to Buzzard and that whole lifestyle for about four or five years. The Buzzard Beach is now closed. Oh my God. Uh, so so some weird. St. Louis because. Of, that was after college. But, that was but, also short term yeah met these folks in springfield mm-hmm. and you're like that's probably cool you get there and what not not as cool as you thought or did well you... no it was pretty cool at first so um i mean you know i make some friends i made some oh, a couple of really good friends and they dropped out of school and so they were back in st louis and i'm still calling them on the phone i'm going to visit and i'm visiting and i'm getting to learn about st louis and i'm kind of liking it and it's like again a different city now mind you i've never lived in kansas city yet at this point i still oh, have yeah. never even tried okay Kansas City as a city yet. So I just like, I, 
what happened was I met a girl through one of my friends at school and um, I moved to this small town for a while to live with her because what she lived. This town's called Crothersville. It's in okay. the, it's in the Boot Hill, Missouri. So I'm right off of the border of Arkansas. Yeah. And I work in Arkansas. I work at a steel mill. What? Did you know this about me at all? No. I used sir. to be an American steel worker. None of the things. But the the funny thing about that is that um, it was literally where it was because they wanted to not be in a union. <laughs> so that's why I was in Arkansas. It's like no steel workers union for me. But I was an American steel worker for a couple of years. Um, a crane operator in a they made pipe for oil fields. Okay. So um, crane operators don't get paid shittily, do they? No, I got paid well. I, okay. Yeah. Um, no, it was, a, it was, a, it might still be, by the way, could, did you, are you, are we good? Are everything's you great. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you took like cost of living, inflation, all that, just put all the numbers together. It's still easily the best job I've had. <laughs> I, my rent, I had a house. It was 300 or no, it wasn't that much. Cause that was later. It was $250 a month God damn. and then some bills. Sure. But so this is one the heavy, well. and I'm getting paid well, and all I care about again drugs. All I care about is drugs. Really? So I'm smoking ton. This is when I really smoked a lot of weed and did a lot of psychedelics. So lots really? of acid and mushrooms. Okay. And um, had connections in Memphis. So I would drive on the weekends. We'd drive down to Memphis and get like Hunter Thompson suitcases full of drugs and bring them back. Damn. Yeah, it was crazy. Was crazy times. This is okay. This I was is... heavy. Yeah, that was all I cared about in the between ninety five and ninety eight. All I cared about was getting high. Wow. And, and never like junky high, like never heroin or anything. Like right. That. It was all. It was that idealistic kind of high that you know the second hippie movement of the nineties kind of thing. That that where that... it was lots of tripping, going to. I that would go to shows. My kind of sh- high. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The difference between me and you is that you liked the music at the shows. <laughs> I just liked the I just liked the parking lot. I'm here lot. for the drugs, man. <laughs> the parking lot was like the mall. That's you know? so funny because, uh, <laughs> like, you know, uh, t- time, of course, does m- so many things. But, you know, so uh, in the collective of years that we were under... The, 4057 i think was the address mm-hmm. uh just a few and 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 so the collective takeaway for me was that guy's always fucking grouchy yeah now i was grouchy my i had yeah, plenty of grouchiness uh, my own <laughs> yeah but i never in a million years would have pegged you like he's not that far removed from a big little psychedelic sp- where where you, oh, you yeah. go to that place because it's sort of the opposite of grouchy but i also didn't know that maybe maybe the coke stuff was no that I don't was know. just that one particular couple months oh, okay one okay here's i was going to say something about this because um i think you and i didn't hang out a lot so and i was never thoughtful enough about my work persona or my work yeah persona like the f- the face that i gave if I, i'm terrible or i think i'm a lot better now but when i was young i was terrible at um, not just being an open book. So I'm working and I'm in, in a lot of people learn, like, you know, a lot of, I was really good friends with a lot of people that I worked with there. They also felt the same way about working with me, like that I was a little grumpy. Oh, funny. Like Courtney, you know, like Courtney McCoy and I, we came to an, uh, an understanding at one point where she was like, why? And I was like, I'm sorry, it's just my game face, basically. It really is. Like, I'm not mad. I'm, I just get like, I can recall my her. face. Saying well, a thing she if, also is <laughs> could be really grumpy and well, anyway. but I feel like uh, if I saw her say a thing or two to you over time, that she always had a like that really big 
smile. Like mm-hmm. she's got kind oh, of yeah. kind of like that. You know, the pu- pu- puppy dog. Like she can oh, tell you you're a piece of shit while she's smiling, yeah, and you're she's... like, "Well, thank. Uh, wait yeah. a minute, what?" But, well, she's like one of those people that I came like we came to an understanding, and like we worked together at Blue Koi just a few years ago, a couple years ago. Like I was still serving with her. Still, I got her the job there. She wanted to work there. You know all this stuff. Because at some point we came to an understanding that we could both be equally like belligerence, not the word, but you know, and it was all in good fun, and we got each other. Sure. You know. Yeah. And so some people, I think, and I feel bad about it in hindsight. I think some people didn't understand that about me, or you wouldn't hang out with me after work, so you wouldn't know that that's not the way I always am. And I feel bad about it now. Like one of my things in life now is to try to be mindful, you know, like that's the biggest, maybe the biggest thing for me as far as how I approach the, the world around me. And so like, I literally take time every day before I enter the world and try to kind of think about who I'm going to encounter and really kind of not, not necessarily like imagine or daydream it, but just kind of go, you're going to encounter people. There's going to be situations like this. There's going to be situations like this. Just stay down the middle and be just be you know here's, here's and, where and I don't have I, I just never want to have that thing where you're you're still thinking about how I was at one time like 20 years ago it's in your mind I don't mean it's bothering you it's what I mean is compared it's still to, something com- you can think about compared to I don't want that. how much I think about how I was it's like it doesn't even track you know yeah, what I'm saying there's a lot of gr- that's where it's also restaurants I don't think it's excusable well but it is restaurants restaurants are weird where um, a certain amount of belligerence and sometimes a straight up abusive behavior is yeah. tolerated and um, and I don't get it and I learned that I got deeper in the restaurant business you know work at Blue Stem then in Denver where it got real serious where that was like I got into the very serious world of restaurants in Denver where it was like high end stuff people beard award winning people oh, and shit. all this co- I was supposed to be this great mixologist and all this stuff happened all of a sudden and I'm like, I got to do it because I got to make that money. I wasn't necessarily as dedicated to it as other people were. So I was sort of an outside observer on the inside, if you get what I mean. Yes. And it's like, God, what, why is it so fetishized to work like 70 hours a week? I don't Awful. get this. Awful. And why is it okay to throw a plate of food against the wall just because you're the chef? You know, like just because you're the own the restaurant or just because you're the like rock star executive chef. Now, I'm not saying anybody I worked with did that in Denver, but I've seen, I've even heard chefs talk about. Other chefs like, oh, well, he doesn't even like yell at his staff as if that's a bad thing. I've heard that from a chef, uh, award-winning chef, <laughs> and I was just like, "What's going on here?" So there's a certain amount of like, there's this high tension in restaurants, especially we were so high volume, dude. It was crazy, insane. crazy. And well, so they, you kind of get in this mode, and you're not thinking enough about the people you're around. And nowadays, I can get super busy. Um, and I kind of just float through it. You got to, I, I kind of learned that there's just this like one layer of a person in front of you at any given moment. There's one customer, there's one kitchen guy. Yeah. And that's all that matters. If yeah. there's 5,000 people over here, all that matters is that interaction in front of you. And you want to communicate clearly and you want to make sure that you're putting on a good face, especially for the customer, but for everybody yeah. really. And, and at the end of the day, so many of those really rough shifts that we had, we made them rougher on ourselves by being that way to each other and by being that way internally. Well, and I think there's also an element of circumstance. I mean, mm-hmm. I was, you know, I, I found myself deep in the business because at, at a very young age, you, you, even before I was legally employable, 
they're they're always needing they're i was always hireable because i was always i always have to have a job and i'm always willing to just, yeah just show me how mm-hmm. 80 hours okay well just show me so <clears throat> i wasn't where i was uh, because i was aspiring i just that's where i landed over time mm-hmm. you know and so but nevertheless there was a very uh um you know i was i, I stayed hungry to learn and to get better and and while you're doing that you also still want to execute in a way that like uh no matter who you want run into on the streets uh it, it it's it's exciting when they tell you that they're coming mm-hmm. and they're excited or they came and it was really mm-hmm. great and so you want to just keep that bar high and keep so you get put in a spot where oh new new person Right. So you got to do all the things that you normally do, but also train. You got to teach them how to do all the things. And you're like, all right, that's going to be a lot. And then something happens, like somebody calls in or it's just insanely busy or a piece of equipment. And so all of a sudden, you know, uh, you got you got a couple things and then maybe you're getting sass from somebody or or there's not staggered seating. So everybody's gets a full section and they ring everything in at one. What? And so eventually you hit this breaking point where you're like, fuck. Yeah, sure. Like I can't now like, forget about learning today. There's no learning happening today. Now I just want to make sure, but, and it feels mm-hmm. like uh, your feet keep getting, uh, yeah. everybody has a breaking point. It's the oh, moral sure, of the story. Sure. Um, but I'm really glad you mentioned the mindfulness piece um, because I arrived at that, some time ago and where I, I have not progressed and, and been stuck is trying to bridge where I want to be mm-hmm. mindfulness speaking in mindfulness terms and how I'm walking through life. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's still like everyone's like a firefly, like a couple times a summer I'm like, ah, and, and the rest of the time I'm out there with a net, like yeah. failing. Well, yeah. So it's, I, I, I'm, I want to get there, you know, yeah. and, and all right, today is, I, I find it, you know, not, this isn't one of those like, Oh, here's my advice kind of thing, <laughs> but I find having a goal to be the mistake, having some sort of end goal. That's not going to do it. You're never going to get there. It's just every, it's just day in, day out. No, it's just, here's, here's where I am currently. Yeah. And I don't, I, I wish that I, I don't need to do it daily. But if I if I had a little bit more consistency, I think I could, you know. So lists. Every once in a while, I, like I'll have a, a long term list. Nothing huge. Just it's not like mm-hmm. nothing that you can knock out with an errand mm-hmm. on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, so I've got that, and just I'm aware of it, yeah. right? Uh, and then I have short term lit just to post it. Like okay. I need to call yeah. the fucking gas company and tell them about blah blah. And it, I can have six things. All you know, if if the stars align, I could hammer out all six. But a lot of times the day uh, is over, and I've only done one. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, getting one thing knocked gotcha. off the list, I feel at ease. Like God, I'm not a giant piece of shit. I'm only a medium-sized piece. It is, it's amazing how right. much. And then what you know what I'm talking about too is is this. Um, God, I don't know. Call it a pursuit to, of enlightenment or anything that hyperbolous, but just this idea of like we're trying to walk this path and we're trying to live better lives and be mindful of everyone around us. 
And that's what I mean. Like, I don't have a goal there. I, I don't know if I believe in enlightenment. I'm actually a little skeptical about that. Um, but, you know, walking that path and trying to make sure that day in and day out, you're leaving, um, you're not leaving trash behind you, if you get what I mean. Just don't be toxic. I, and again, like one interaction, you can have one. I'll have, I have many interactions every day. And sometimes I never think about any of them at the end of the day. And then sometimes you have like that beautiful one. Like a couple of people yesterday, I had a really busy shift, really busy day yesterday. And um, there's a couple of like where I was like, man, I had a good day with people yesterday. That's actually very satisfying, especially considering what it used to be like, where I did used to be like regretful so much. Like, man, I, I would have this like image of a face in my mind where I just like really disappointed somebody or I really oh. like annoyed them or I really, and it sticks with me and I can't help it. And that's what I'm trying to avoid. But yeah, I'm with you too. Like I write, you know, every day and I'm a screenwriter, right? So, um, and I, I follow screenwriters on Twitter and all this stuff. And I kind of, kind of like cl get clued into process of other people. And I don't really care what the process is as far as like, I'm sometimes I'll see something. I'll go, maybe I'll try that. Most of the time I'm just curious, but I have my own process and I'm fine with it. And it's the same way. Like some people go 10 pages a day, five pages a day or certain amount of time a day Two hours. and I, I will write one scene and it'll be a thousand times more satisfying to me than when I wrote the 10 pages the other day. Oh, okay. You know what I nice. mean? It's just sometimes, um, for one thing you could write one scene really well and write 10 pages really poorly. Yeah. Of <laughs> so course. there's that. Of course. So that's why I don't try, I try not to think of things that way. Yeah. Like even a line, like sometimes I'll have too busy of a day to really sit down and write. And then I'll be like laying down before like bed and I'll have my computer with me, which is an Ill, Ill advised, of course, but I'll like to watch a movie while I conk out or something. And then I'll like open the laptop and it'll be on the, you know, I'll still have my, my final draft up with the script I'm working on and I'll look at it for a second and I'll like change one bit of dialogue, like one. And I'll be like, Man, that might be the biggest moment in the movie for all I know. Or that might I, yeah. be, I really I can't believe no one's called me yet. <laughs> but if I was sitting down making sure I wrote 10 pages, yeah. I might not have seen it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of how life, I mean, I think that's analogous, you know, to life. 100%. Um, anyway, wow, that's a different uh, direction. Well, conversation so, went on. so St. Louis, to try it out, Chicago. What, what was the Denver? What was the impetus? So Denver for that? was meeting, meeting Archer's mom, and we started dating. So this is like right at the end Blue, of my. Blue Stem? She was working at Blue Stem, and I was still at McCoy's. I remember. This was uh, right at the end. Uh, uh, hold up. Uh, she got, yeah, she got held, her and her friend got held up at gunpoint outside Blue Stem, yeah. Uh, that was terrifying. And part of the reason why she wanted to get out of Kansas City, right? So, also, she just wasn't, she had lived in Chicago for six years. She's from Kansas City. She came back, but she didn't want to stay. We meet. We're going to get married. We get married. But it's. Here. We're getting married, yeah. And then you go. And we're going to move somewhere. So it's get married and figure out where to go. So, well, it was before the the actual wedding that we were like searching. So at first it was going to be Seattle. Seattle was too expensive. Then it was going to be Austin and Austin came real close. But then we went for a bike ride in April in Austin and we're sweating through our clothes. And we went, I'm not, I, I was like, I don't want to move to another humid yeah, hot place. Yeah. And then um, she went out to Denver by herself and she's one of those go-getters like, 
she's on the internet like researching places to eat and all this stuff she's gonna learn about the restaurants in denver and she finds this like supper club i don't even remember how but it's like a supper club that meets and she reaches out to this woman and says i'm curious about this and she's like we're meeting at we happen to be meeting at my house this time while you're in town come over you're invited seriously without any personal meeting so kim goes to these people's house and meets them and has this whole like meets all these people that are all now restaurateurs and own bars and breweries and stuff wild and they're all in this like sort of foodie circle for lack of a better word yeah and um she gets to know them and stays in contact so when we get married our honeymoon we fly to denver and we go to this guy's restaurant um where he's chef uh, root down is the name of the restaurant and we eat dinner like our our first honeymoon dinner there and then when he gets off work, we meet his wife, who's the woman that he, uh, that Kim had connected with. Yeah. And we go out for drinks at the bar that became our bar when we lived in Denver. And they say, we're opening a restaurant. We want you guys to come out and work No for us. way. You're going to be, Kim's going to be front of house GM, and I'm going to run the bar. So Sounds we pretty take, dreamy. It's pretty dreamy. Then we go on our honeymoon, and then we work, and we're making money, and we're saving, and we decide to move to Denver, go out and find a place. We move out there, and as soon as we look, get there they are having a baby and they're gonna have to wait a year oh shit. to open the restaurant oh wow so suddenly we're like in this no man's land of job we're like walking dogs and we're like really worried oh, wow. savings is running out sure hard to find a job in the restaurant business because it's as you might guess just like here incestual like oh we yeah. don't know you you're from kansas city and then we run into this one job interview with where it just so happens it's this rock star chef guy who everybody loves is opening his own place and they specifically do not want to hire the the same old same old people they want people from all, around all different places so they hire us at this place guys this is one of those long stories but it's this guy's amazing his name's justin brunson he's an amazing chef uh he ran a place called uh, or he had a place called old major later okay it was a big restaurant in denver for a while he does butcher stuff now. Anyway, he's been on TV. He's like oh, one of those wow. chef guys. And he's this big, you would love him. He's a big hippie. Okay. You guys would go to shows together. All right. Big fish guy and okay. all that stuff. All right. And he was the sweetest there's teddy bear the, of a man. There's that grump sneaking out <laughs> first. No, no. I'm like 100% like the biggest <laughs> teddy to bear hippie show, of a man. Um, and uh, so we started this restaurant and it's almost too good to be true. And I'm like made the head of the cocktail. I'm the head bartender. I'm the head of the cocktail program. Of which I barely know about. I like really, I bullshitted my way, but good did for you. I bullshitted my way into being good at it. I was I actually mean, pretty good at it. And so, but it turns out the guy who was own, the owner, owner, the guy who was the money man, didn't have any money. Oh no. And he like locks the door. Like all the chefs walk out because they're not going to get paid. Um, he locks the doors. We're suddenly without a job. But the good news was that everybody ate at that place while it was open. And, I and Kim and almost everybody else that worked there got job offers immediately from all the other places. We got like poached because like that restaurant's so amazing. And and this one guy was like, "I loved your cocktails. Come work for me." Sweet. And then finally, after a while, making making enough like, money to get by. You know, I've bullshitted my way through. That. <laughs> I just totally bullshitted my way. <laughs> you know what? Most of those guys have bullshitted their way at that, some point. And then eventually, you know point, what you're talking about. Yeah. You know. So I worked there, and then we do finally open the other restaurant. Where like it took a while. We built it out ourselves. A um, little place called the Populist. Okay, and I was head of the, I was the head bartender, head of the cocktail, the bever- well, except for wine, head of beverages, and um, it was going great. And Archer's born. We so we get the the funniest thing about that is like we had this other job, this first job, and we're like, 
things are going good. Let's have a baby. And then immediately the place closes like, shoot, I hope we are having a baby. <laughs> and yes, we were. It, wow. It, yeah. Anyway, so he's born and we opened this new restaurant and everything's great. And I'm getting paid really well there. And it's really popular. Another really popular place. You both are working there? No, I mean, oh. she's she did some, she helped with hiring. She did some things there. But at this point, she's new mom. Yeah. So it's like, and I'm making enough money that we're going to be okay. In Denver. And then, um, and I'm right. And also I'm in the best shape of my life. I ride my bike everywhere. Kim's basically the one driving the car and I'm riding my bike all over town. And so I get off work one night and I'm riding my bike home. And a cab runs a stop sign and crushes me. Like, I don't know if I saw you during this time. I, I got crushed by a cab. I, you were gone, and mm-hmm. I heard about it. Okay. And then some time passed, and then you were back. Yeah, we uh, had to come back. Well, and, and and it, it was clear that it was a shitty deal. I couldn't remember r- r- today if it was Chicago or out there. It was Denver, yeah. But I remember, like... You, you got kind of fucked up, didn't you? Yeah, I got broke a bunch of bones, and um, that was okay. And then a spinal injury reared its head after a couple of weeks, maybe a couple, even like a was month. Was the case still where open? It was just like, and yeah, the, so the, the cab company was paying my lost wages and all this stuff. And then when the spinal thing happened, it was face-melting pain. Like, I couldn't sit straight. I couldn't lay down. I had to, like... I had the breastfeeding pillow. <laughs> Back shit is the worst. Like this, and I could only sleep sitting up, and, oh, it, and it was bad, bad. And, and they denied it. That they denied. They the said, no, company? that's not our fault. That's from something else. Cut what? off everything, and that's why we had to move back to Kansas City. No we had way. no way to make money. Yeah. So I sued them, and I won. Oh, really? Well, they had to settle. Right. It was one of those things where it like went on and on. I had to move back here. But that's the divorce starts, where the breakup happens. It's like, we're moving back to Kansas City, but we go separate ways when we get here. Oh, like and, so. So it wasn't great before the bike thing. Yeah, happened? there was already some friction and, and things. How but old this was he? really he's six months old. Okay, and so it's all it, it's like well we're going back to Kansas City. Um, we both find places to crash in Midtown so we can continue like exchanging Archer because our parents lived in she her parents in Raymore and mine in Excelsior and it was like well that's not gonna work. So I'm living with Patrick. Okay. And um and and just kind of like having still Archer wearing a boot. half the time. Yeah, and I would like to take care of him by myself with this boot on my ankle and my neck all messed up. I finally fixed the neck thing, sorta like at least got to where I could lay down by going to the swimming pool and just kind of sure. like messing around. So anyway, that's how that all went down. So Archer was born in Denver. And okay. um I tell my joke of course is that like oh people are like, Oh, you lived in Denver, why why'd you move? I was like, I didn't want to risk him being a Broncos fan. I mean it was just like no Immediate <laughs> automatic father of the year pin right on the get lapel. Out. I mean, had to get out of that. Um, yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was the Denver. That's the Denver story. And you know, the thing is, is I was telling you, like, I got so deep in the restaurant business there. Like, I'm, I'm working like sixty some hours a week, opening a restaurant, and and I really cared. I mean, I and I liked it. Okay, totally. Never would have guessed that that would be the path that you would land. I didn't want caring it to and be. doing all those hours. I didn't want it to because I thought there was an unspoken similarity. You know, I said like I was hireable, and I just mm-hmm. all of a sudden I did these years, and I kind of rose. You know, with experience and other skills, mm-hmm. and but the whole time the primary voice that I'm ignoring. Mm-hmm. Is the one going? What the fuck are you? Oh, I know, me too. Yeah. You know, and it completely unmerited and undeserved part of that voice is, you're better than this, or you're smarter than, or whatever it. Is, I don't know, and that doesn't mean that I'm looking out at my colleagues, 
saying I'm better than him and her and blah, blah, blah. But like, this isn't, you know, I, I was just supposed to wash dishes for 25 hours a week to get through high right. school and then whatever, cook my way through college. And then like, that's when you, uh, a job house, wife, kid, that's when all the things start happening. Right. But mm -hmm. no, it's just twenties become thirties and it's like, fuck man. Like I don't, that, and that was, that was, uh, too young to, to know, but that was not the voice to be ignoring right. or looking no. the other way for. And I, th I think that so you I was were say it's a blessing. This getting hit by the cab was a blessing in disguise. Thing. Wild. Because it knocked me out of that world. <laughs> I did not want to be in that world. Figuratively and thing, literally. The thing about, so I, I made my bones there making cocktails, right? And it's a creative endeavor. So it tapped that. And then you get adulation for it. If you're get good at it. You're checking a I lot was of boxes. Getting people, yeah, I was getting people saying oh you're the yo, you make the best old-fashioned in town you have a real specific I, this real specific old-fashioned recipe simple as could be but it was very specific and i had all these people talking about it all the time that's wild so man. it's like and having people hire you without an interview because they liked your cocktails so ego stroking sure and then the creative i'm able to be creative and i'm also writing i'm trying rails. to write yeah, none you know, of that. None of that. No dopamine, uh, though. Oh, I guess you like get you. Yeah, the same yeah. <laughs> way that a, a like or a something. Mm -hmm. you just... So all that's pushing me along. Plus, I've got big responsibilities, and I'm making the money. So it came to where I was like, yeah. And then I'm also I'm getting caught up in that fetishization. These chefs that are like always talking about their hours. It's like I I, I really want to take them and shake them and I go. I get it, but man, you know that you're gonna die young, right? If you keep doing this, like. This is not something to fetishize. This is something that like should be avoided, and you should be working hard and you should care, but there should be limits to it. And the way these guys are expected to work on salary too, for, like hours don't matter. And I'm just like, I felt bad for some of those. My guys. my my last gig mm -hmm. in the business, uh, about seven months in, uh, baby number two is on the way. Mm -hmm. And it's just not do like I came home one day and she was like in the middle of the family room where the dog was when you got here and uh, I came in tears mm. and I'm like what what what's going on and she's like we are barely making this work with one what mm -hmm. are we gonna do and I was like yeah that's it so I went to the GM and I was like my i should have uh, some form i should have already had some form of review yeah. at this point uh so i know you got uh, you've always got x y and z to get through before you can pivot and look at a different thing but get through that and then i want you to schedule it mm -hmm. and he was just like who does that nobody i'll, I'll let you know when it's time a couple weeks three hey man you know a couple weeks hey dude and finally, he's like, what do you, you're not going to just like set the table for this conversation and get a raise. What are you expecting? And I was like, I'm not expecting a raise at all. I, my, my interest in having this conversation is for you to switch me to hourly. And he's like, mm -hmm. are you out of your mind? That's never going to happen. And I was like, it's time, time to go then. Cause I also, uh, I was, we were not covered. We had a, like a, personal private whatever you call it yeah. health insurance policy yeah, yeah, yeah. um so i mean we had uh and it the, this not because of this this jived with who we were and so forth but we had a, a, a doula 
We had a doula for both kids, but but we had a home birth and a doula here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he was born like I mean it's, I mean it sounds silly, but like right around four twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the clock was ticking, six o'clock, the doula and the midwife were exiting. Okay. And it, there was not a single trace of evidence that anybody had ever been here. And it was weird. It was like, w- w- uh, and I remember being like, I guess I'm going to go put on a pot of coffee and start calling people. Yeah. Because there's no, you're not waiting for doctors and nurses yeah, and people to come. You're just, weird. you're at home in your own room. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, man, this is, I, I can't, I can't anymore. It's just not doable to be here. I mean, even like 65, you know, is like, ah, oh, it's not 80, but it's still a lot. And then if you, if you roll into 70, it's like, dude, there's one ending to this story and it's everybody at my funeral. Right. You know, anyway. Um, so uh, I'm super fascinated by the inclusion of giant steps Okay. John Coltrane, mm-hmm. 1960. Before we get into that, um, one of my, fa- I'm just, I don't, I'm not like um, trained to be a creep or anything, but, but bath time for Archer or Archer's oh, bath yeah, yeah, time yeah, yeah, music. Yeah. Is, yeah. I've always. Uh, I haven't done that in a while. Well, yeah. it, uh, it. He doesn't take baths. He's a shower guy now. He, He's older. For, yeah. for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, like the world is happening over here, you know, and you hear uh, more and more and more and more that people are getting into vinyl and buying vinyl and collecting vinyl, but I'm not, you know, really inter- interacting with, uh, that I know of people like mostly cause I wasn't asking mm-hmm. that are, that have vinyl or are mm-hmm. buying vinyl yeah, yeah. and you would, so you would have, you would put a record on display like mm-hmm. the Sinatra and then picture it and put it in. So, uh, when and why did that collection begin? And and, and yeah. are are the selections? They're yours, right? They're not his, or uh, is it a sometimes mix? Sometimes they're his. Okay, yeah. I mean, not he doesn't call out. He likes jazz music. Okay, okay. He doesn't call out jazz. You know, um, bands that he would want to listen to, like Devo or. Devo's like we could definitely have talked about Devo today, except I had a Devo podcast and I talked about literally every song, <laughs> and I think that's enough for me. But um, where where can people find Devo. that? Uh, it's called ABC Devo. It's anywhere you can find a podcast. We talked about every Devo song in alphabetical order. And whoa! Yeah. And who is we? Uh, it's me. It was me and my friend Pete Bonavita, known as Pete the Retailer. He's the host of Star Wars Minute podcast, which is pretty big amazing star wars podcast where they talk this could get a whole other podcast conversation going yeah he he, they talk about star wars every star wars movie one minute at a time so they every episode is take the minute of star wars and somebody comes on and talk they've had paul f Tompkins, paul Shear, all these guests like pretty big guests on their show matt gorley Pete brought Matt Gorley onto my show all this crazy stuff let's put a pin in (laughs) yeah we could star wars podcast and so so pete um, my friend Tom Taylor, who does the Indiana Jones Minute podcast, and then our friend Joe Mazel, who just does podcasts with us. And so we're all kind of figured out because we were in the same circle. So he did Star Wars Minute, I did Alien Minute, and then Tom was doing Indiana Jones Minute. We all just knew each other and did each other's shows. And then we all kind of accidentally re- realized we were huge Devo fans. Oh, my. And Pete was like, well, my buddy Joe is also a big Devo fan. Let's do our own podcast. 
And he did a show, Joe, or Pete also did a show called um, Alphabetical, where they did every Beatles song alphabetically. So he was like, Whoa. this alphabetical Whoa. thing has become a thing. So we did all of Devo, it took a couple of years. And then recently we did every- All of these are out there? Every, and, yes. And audio, audio only? Audio only, okay. yeah. And then more recently, because we liked talking, we ran out of material, but we liked talking to each other, we switched over and did- every star trek the original series episode in alphabetical order so that's called abcdtos so same group switched from music to tv talked about star star trek and abcdtos the original series okay cool that's what you know in trekkie circles that's what you call it sure um so yeah so we did that um and i'm trying to get back so devo yeah so archer loves devo craft work electronic-y stuff he likes it's just always but craft work was called robots for years hmm. dad play robots okay but uh and um and then like any number of michael jackson prince all that stuff so that's what he would call out you know so if you ever saw like uh thriller or uh, any prince record i feel like on there, every time i saw it it's mostly it, jazz adult yeah adult very uh mm-hmm. you know you wouldn't expect that a kid would because it would be background music for him you know right. and me too but it's also calming it'd be in yes. the evening so a lot of times it'd be like Bill Evans or something that's sure, mellow. Sure, I'm not even sure if I ever put like Giant Steps might have not have been the right because well, it's such a high energy. It is. Uh, a couple of tracks aren't, but right, right out of the gate, that's one of the things Opening that makes it so great. Like, is, yeah. So I'll tell you the story of Giant Steps, and no, me, well, which but, is the but, story of jazz for me. Okay, <laughs> anyway, okay. But, well, but but your vinyl collection was born. Oh, the vinyl when collection. and how? So I used to have some records, and I had a turntable, and then I sold I sold them. I um, sold the turntable, sold the records, uh, moved on, and this was very small collection, and they were mostly hip hop records, and I really regret. Man, I wish I had them back. So do I. Anyway, um, but then when Archer was born, I just got in my mind a that. I love collecting things like music, movies, stuff, um, books. Um, I want him to be raised to not think that music is just a digital file that you get off of the internet. I want him to appreciate album art and all these things that are like, there's more to the package of music releases than just the music. Right? So to me, it's like, he'll see this big picture of, whatever the album cover is, he'll understand that there's a thing you can take out and you can put it on, you can put a needle on it and all this stuff. And I, and that is very indicative of how I raise him. Like I don't, I show him old things a lot and he likes them way more than I thought he even would. I just want him to like, look, let's cool. give this a try. Let's watch the Marx Brothers. He's a huge Marx Brothers fan. Your 10 year old son, my 10 year old son, even at age like seven. Wow. I was like, let's just see how you react to this. So in a sense, did the birth and initial growth of your child and your collection kind of yeah. happened hand in hand. Well, so then, um, yeah. So while I didn't have any money when he was to do it, when he was born, but then I got the settlement. Dude, shit is so expensive. I got the settlement records from, right now. Yeah. From the cab company. So I had, a, I had like a bunch of money all of a sudden and, uh, was like, well now I can do it. So I buy a turntable and I start going to record stores and buying little bits of records here and there. Fun. And then kind of realized early on Did you, that I'm mostly interested in jazz these days. Okay, okay. Did you put any of that away or is it all... Oh, well, we won't, yeah. <laughs> there was a divorce. There right, was, I forgot. My there bad, was, my bad. There was a divorce. I did. I got my um, bachelor's degree on it out of pocket. Hey. Um, I managed to purchase a home. Now, obviously not cash on the barrel head or anything sure. but i managed to get purchase a home which then the equity of the home helped me pay off all my student loans prior so i'm free and clear 
now getting my master's degree. Nice. Paid for by the school. So all this stuff. Kind Undergrad of from? UMKC in, in film studies. Okay. And, the, and then I'm getting an MFA in creative writing with a focus on screenwriting now. From UMKC? From UMKC. Uh, yeah, I know. That's my, that's where I got mine. I know. Creative writing. But yep. it's, it's, it's... I'm in screenwriting. You know, I still, you know, like um, my advisor, they're all in the... I'm the outlier. I'm the outsider in this. It's really evident that they don't know what to do with screenwriters in this program. But nevertheless, it's, it's, it's going fine. But, but they're trying to be mindful and yeah, push yeah. it along. My, as I was finishing, uh, it, there all this talk was uh, for the upcoming semester. You know, there's always like a, a new hire or somebody's leaving or whatever. Mm-hmm. There was that normal. And then this, uh, I think we're about to transition to MFA. Mm-hmm. Which the the summary I got was that that's a it's a terminal degree meaning mm-hmm. you're done, whereas if you get an MA then I, you yeah. go get a P I don't fuck no, I'm getting but, a terminal degree okay yeah. but are you I absolutely loved my time at UMKC are yeah. you yeah it's kind of I mean I I you know I've gone to school there for a long time off and on and finally finished the bachelor's and then this was not something I wanted to do. I didn't think about, I mean, I, occasionally, so my mentor, Mitch Bryan, who is a screenwriter, and he's the screenwriting professor there, and good friend of mine, and he's the guy who hosted the Alien Minute podcast. Okay. Always kind of would suggest that maybe I should get my MFA, and I just wanted to write. And um, then I want a, I had a writing partner from Denver who brought me in on a project, and we wrote a script together, and we won the Austin Film Festival. We won the best horror script screenplay in the Austin nice. Film Festival. Which uh, unfortunately happened right at the. It was the first the COVID festival, okay. so we right. didn't get to go. Thanks, COVID. And meet people, and we had a lot of Zoom meetings. But everyone was like, "Well, with COVID, I'm not really doing a project, any projects right now, or we're not taking on new clients right now." So we didn't get much traction from the win as far as the, selling the script or being represented or getting anything produced. But still stays on UMKC your resume. Goes well. We do want to have screenwriters in our MFA program, and we've never had an award winning screenwriter. So would you come on? And I said, well, I'm not taking on, I just paid off my student loan debt. I'm not taking it on. And they said, we'll figure it out. So they found me an internship. So I'm teaching screenwriting. I'm doing, you are? Yeah. I teach screenwriting through the library. I'm going to be teaching screenwriting as an, I I think as an adjunct, they're still talking about whether it's a a graduate instructor or an adjunct position. Nevertheless, actually at the school, actually walking on campus and Putting down a bag in front of the class. Right now, stuff. today. Next are, semester, yeah. Dude. Well, I've already done some Zoom instruction and stuff. Very um, cool. So now, that's what's you, going on. So that's that's been like the the money I got from the settlement paid for the bachelor's. Hey. See, things good things are yeah, happening, yeah. even if they're not exactly now, the same, do uh, you, exactly what I was hoping for. Do always. you, uh, with this approaching, feel the need to, like... Uh, uh, update your wardrobe like i gotta have a, oh yeah yeah i've got to get a jacket okay i figure i find i gotta get a blazer right, right? like so at least no matter what i'm patches. wearing i don't know what the patches, well it's a, but uh, or the tweed or yeah. any of that. but no matter <laughs> what i'm wearing if, as long as i'm wearing a blazer I'm like, and but the ba- I t- the i'm a t-shirt guy man I, so but, am i that's why i ask because uh, i think yeah. i'm not giving up the backpack thing that's because of my back Back, the only bags that work for me are backpacks because they evenly distribute the weight yeah. on your shoulders yeah. and my neck is still messed up. Okay. So anyway. Giant um, steps. Giant steps. So the vinyl collection kind of just started. And so because of the writing too, I don't listen to nearly as much music with lyrics anymore because to me, I listen to a lot of like ambient music, jazz, 
soundtrack scores you because know? you have it on while you're trying to write while i'm writing words right? will get in and, the way and right? it's just more i don't know i'm just more interested in jazz and i read about jazz i love jazz music and um so especially because the vinyl collection keeps growing and growing and it's become kind of a fascination or infatuation um that's part of what's grown the vinyl collection well uh, but uh, to go back in time then to giant steps so this is college in springfield I meet this girl, really cool girl that turns me on to punk rock. So it actually okay. starts with punk. Interesting. And I never really paid attention to before. So I get really into punk. And um, then I get really into Black Flag. Oh. And then I get really into Henry Rollins. Oh. And then I start listening to everything that man says, which in hindsight, I bet if I listened to it, I wouldn't agree with him nearly as much now as I did then. But nevertheless, he was a tastemaker for me. And a purpose server, and, probably. Yeah. So he turned me on to a lot of different things. But... One on offhanded comment he made, you know, telling some story was he was on a train. He was on the train listening to John Coltrane. That's all he had to say. And I said, wait, Henry Rollins listens to jazz? Hmm. So I'm in St. Louis um, just visiting. I go to Vintage Vinyl, one of the greatest record stores in the world. I buy Giant Steps just randomly, mind you. I know it. Just, a oh, it's a John Coltrane a cover album, buy? But. Was the cover attractive? I don't, I guess it's like him holding that big saxophone. Well, but, and, but it, it was really almost like a, I'm just going to grab the John Coltrane record or CD in this case. And I can still remember it was winter, snowy, snowy St. Louis. And some of that city looks like it's still 1950 or at least at the time, you know, like rusty looking buildings and all this stuff and snow on the ground. And I'm listening to this record uh, album and it just, kicks you in the face like right off the bat right i'm like whoa and then it's this wonderful journey so it's like the just perfect saxophone playing um you got tommy flanagan a little bit of red uh is it red garland on yes the piano and so piano jazz now that's a whole other thing that's really i mean i think most of our generation's uh, uh origin of jazz is charlie brown right like i can tell you right now one reason why i love piano jazz so much is vince Giraldi and charlie brown holiday special and all that so all that stuff is in me yeah and i'm listening to this and it's like the perfect environment and i'm like fall in love like i was so in love with random a random purchase random purchase based on offhand comment some old grumpy old punk rock guy saying he listened to john coltrane one time you know for all i know he doesn't even (laughs) care but so i listen to that and then it's like okay now i gotta do a miles davis and i do a miles davis but Giant Steps. So the reason I mean I don't Giant Steps isn't my favorite Coltrane record even, but but it put you on put you online. The impetus it was like the yeah yes. kickstarted me into jazz, and I did get really into it. Like I used to have a lot of jazz CDs. I guess this, I still have those CDs. Sure. But um, and it was like chill out music. So my girlfriend and I, you know, we were big stoners, and I was like, you we should listen to stuff. you know like hitting bongs and listening to jazz, and Whoa. it went, went together really well. Interesting. And so we all, we kind of all became like. The chill out music, the calm down music. Cool. So we got like re- relaxing with the Miles Davis quartet. Yeah, right? yeah. Quintet, quartet. Quintet. Yeah, I think that's a quintet. The relaxing, cooking, working, all steaming. that stuff. Yeah. I got all those, and then kind of blue, of course, came out. Yes. You know, like then you, I, I didn't even know that that was the one I was supposed to buy first. You know, that's like most people's uh, entree. No, to, no, no. I think if you bop. if you dig in quintet, well, yeah. First, well, I think that's, that's advisable because cool, most people do kind right. of blue maybe that maybe maybe they don't ever have another miles record maybe mm-hmm. maybe they put on bitches brew at one point and oh, nobody, like, wait, what, they what? Went, wait what <laughs> what's happening right <laughs> no, now that's a mine doesn't work unbelievable record. yeah uh um, but quint i if you you won't be able to 
write or or do i mean you 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 know but if episode 33 uh the one that the audio failed or i mean video failed 15 records um and the 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 list of records Mm -hmm. is phenomenal and i learned so like i was like fucking john coltrane played with miles davis and then i twice turned the page and it's like oh god this is a whole cascading nebulous of yeah. things that I, I this is not even a surface scratch the, the Coltrane journey with Miles was junky my junky Coltrane played with Miles and got fired well my, then he went to he cleaned up and went and played with Monk and then he came back and that's when like kind of blue that's when it was all like but, but I think uh, I think some and so there's two quintets there was the first that was one later, with, yeah, with Coltrane and mm-hmm. and and Red Garland, right. and then there was another one with Herbie Hancock and blah, blah, John blah. McLaughlin and all the it but, became the entree diffusion, yeah, yes. Yeah. But uh, the the first quintet I think had issues because I think I think Miles had a, a heroin oh yeah thing yeah. Oh, first that was earlier I think oh, okay well. So, something got cut short because he was having issues and then mm-hmm. and then later Coltrane did too but I'm interrupting no that, yeah like the the Miles thing was more god that was before and he went to my dad always tells the story he's told me the oh. story my life of how he just left New York and went to Alton Illinois where he's from went to his dad's farm walked into the barn and there was like a room in the barn, there was like a separate little room, and locked himself in there until he was clean. And his dad helped him, you know, like bring him water and food if he could eat at Wild. all. But like got the shakes out. Good for him, that was man. Like, that's what Holy my dad was. So I don't know how powerful that is. I think that that's in his. I've read his autobiography. It was years ago. Yeah, there's some there's some less savory things about. It. I I don't I actually don't recommend reading Miles Davis's autobiography if you just want the purity of the music and never think about. What a bastard! Separate he could be. the art from the artist. Yeah, because there, there's some like unforgivable things he did that he kind of bragged about. That's like a different if you're like, I shouldn't have done that. But well, I didn't know. <laughs> I've I've really really had immeasurable uh, respect and admiration for Dre. Mm-hmm. And somebody picked the Chronic, uh, and I'm like, fuck. There's a. Oh, wish, yeah. wish there was there's a few things that I the, the bathroom yeah. incident. Well, and, just uh, I, I don't recall anything specific, but it seemed like a lot of stuff with women mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, and I, I it seems like he's tried made a concerted yeah. effort to apologize and it's, say yeah so forth. But anyway, uh, this guy um, fifty led at least fifty recording sessions, won a posthumous Pulitzer, and was born as in his apparent in his parents' apartment. You, we're talking about John Coltrane. Coltrane, yeah, is uh, a saint. Yeah, he's he was sainted by the like what West African Episcopal Church, and there's actually a shrine and everything at the church in San Francisco where he was sainted. Cool. And all that. So I didn't know that until recently. So he's literally Saint John Coltrane, according to that. That's hilarious. Sect of uh, uh, that was when he got in that spiritual phase. Him and Alice Coltrane, and she you know kind of continued on after. Yes. Um, you're, She's amazing too. Um, that that high energy in the opening track, uh, almost. I've only watched this once, and I'll probably never watch it again. Requiem for a Dream, mm-hmm. like the high energy of that opening track. If somehow there's a parallel to the weird energy happening in that movie. Yeah, uh, and then I think track two is, is a little mellower, and and you can, yeah, it actually kind of yeah, it kind of starts at this like at eleven. <laughs> and then moves its way down a little bit, but the second one's even still pretty high energy. 
And by the time you get to that Naima and stuff, you know, it's like a straight ballad. Right. But, um, excuse me. Um, dude, that was like so appealing, right? Like it was like this high energy thing at my age. And I was like, I said, I was listening to punk rock a lot and all this stuff. It was like, whoa. But also what I understand, I read this book called The Coltrane Sound, which is real interesting. It's sort of a biography, but it's more about his journey to musical discovery, right? And like one of the more interesting things about that book was that the the writer or the people the writers quoting all kind of posited this theory that um, he had like a 20-year career in his last two years, like that somehow he knew he wasn't going to live much longer so his the evolution yeah he had young and so the evolution of his music all got like condensed into those two years wow that's why if you listen to those records it's like where did this come from this is crazy but this was one of the first he this was a major evolutionary record for him as i understand it now i'm not a music theorist and i struggle understanding it all but i know that when he he was at blue note prestige records and this was his first atlantic record and that in the interim he started experimenting with different ways of like presenting notes. Like instead of individual notes, it was like patches of notes um, through the improvisation. So it wasn't writing these notes. It was trying to mentally uh, understand this like bigger picture, bigger grouping of notes in within improvisation. So it's almost like, I guess like kind of like scales or something, but much more complex and off the cuff and you can hear it. But the thing about this record, I put it on, I didn't listen to it in a minute. But last night I put it on, um, and just how clean. Very clean. Everything is, like, all the moves, there's not a wrong move. And I listen to a lot of jazz saxophones now. Of course, Coltrane's the king of all jazz musicians to me. But I listen to a lot of really good guys, but there's something about the way his notes move in between. It's That's like the, this, like, color, like, going back to the old psychedelic days, right? Like, where there's, like, you can kind of see this painting, like, uh, appearing in front of you if you, like, think well, about it I've, a certain way. I've never sat down and, and listened to John Coltrane before this. So, I mean, Oh man, I have, you should have ta- on a journey. Ta- oh, I yeah. mean, eventually I will, but I've taken in track one and track two and I'm, I'm, you know, uh, Anthony and Michael Hall trying to write that. Who are you? And I'm like, what is it? What is it about this guy's sound? What is it? What is it? What is it? And I, th- I think you just, yeah, I, do. I mean, I don't know. It's like, again, we're back to this intellectualizing music thing. That's difficult yeah. to do. But I can kind of see, it's like you can kind of see something happening. Uh, you, you can kind of visualize. That's what, another thing about jazz that's so beautiful to me is that it almost seems like music that's giving something else uh, to the listener as opposed to a lot of like pop music is imposing something on the listener, if you get what I mean. It's uh, like, yeah. we're making this point. This is the song. It's, yeah. it's contained within this. There's lyrics that are telling you a thing, which is all well and good. Jazz is almost like an open-ended thing for interpretation, sort of like avant-garde painting or something. Yeah, yeah. And now some jazz is also very specific, like pop music. There's pop jazz. Yeah. And even some of the bebop stuff, you know. Um, but Coltrane, man, well, when you get down this, this is a very, this is a conventional record for Coltrane. Okay. So when you get down the line, you know, it gets real interesting. But Love Supreme is definitely the next one. That's my favorite. I, Coltrane it record. seems yeah. to be loved by a lot of it's, folks. I, maybe my favorite jazz record i guess i don't now, know it's really hard to was say, that because they're so so he not to compare it to the barn story or whatever but uh it looks like he was having difficulties with heroin and alcohol and then mm-hmm. just eliminated them from, i think from so, his life yeah and uh 
then uh, hit, hit this sort of spiritual window. And then, mm-hmm. so he's kind of like, you know, reading, reading the Bhagavad Gita and the Bible and looking at Hinduism and all this stuff. And I, did that record come out near that time love I, the one the love oh, one supreme that's a good question i feel I'm like not sure i feel like they weren't too terribly See, far i should apart. know like it's been years since i read that i was in denver when i read okay. that book so it was at least 10 years ago and i'm one of those people that like i don't remember everything I read yeah i'll be like oh I kinda well remember. he i should know the timeline a little better but um so he joined the navy the day mm-hmm. that the first atomic bomb was dropped on mm-hmm. japan uh, and had, uh, I think, some cooking responsibilities and some some other, and then played in the Melody Makers, an all white band, but mm-hmm. unofficially, because mm-hmm. he didn't. Nobody wanted the high ranking people to know that this black dude was doing this. And but but by the time he's finished, he's basically ascended to some version of a leadership role. Yeah. Um, and um, he strikes me as uh, one of these people that like you know has no problem taking in all of the world and, and also has this vehicle for expression but it's you know a lot of us c- can take in this much of the world and the rest is kind of like fringe noise or like the uh, the fuzzy when the tv used to go off the air when we yeah, yeah, yeah. and there so it's just, that's just that and we have, but he seems like he's taking it all in and it's he's like no i got it all and it's kind of boring so i gotta like go out over here and create so you know there was um a complaint supposedly one night not quit playing and so he took the horn out of his mouth and just practiced practice fingering for however long and supposedly countless times where he like would fall asleep with the thing in his hands and in his mouth and cause they're like, or, or uh, he, he practiced 25 hours a day yeah. and that, that's kind of like, yo, that yeah. is otherworldly. Um, yeah. It's one of those things where it's like did that man, did that man live a life uh, of a regular human being or was he just mainly a vessel for music? I, you know, it's just kind of like, it's hard to see his life being uh, as being a human, you know, obviously he had relationships and children and, um, so on, but uh, I mean, he really flourished when he married a woman that could play with him, uh, right? Yeah. Like it's uh, kind of amazing. He meets Alice, and they start playing together, and um, just their collaborations and everything. So uh, took him to a whole. He goes to this whole other level. Yeah, so I would argue probably that's more what caused the okay the quick evolution okay. of the end of his life than the than this like more nebulous idea that somehow he knew he was going to die. That's a romantic, that's a romantic idea, but I'm not sure if it's how valid it is. Well, yeah, I better, I better check in. Yes. I have good, quick. good time. I have to pee against. Cool. Um, Leave the phone on this time. Yeah, of course. Um, My, one, I don't, I mean, I don't mean to just discard great, great record. Uh, seven tracks, 37 minutes. Yeah. There's something really beautiful about oh, no. this yeah. is my record and it's and, and for me personally uh Medeski Martin and Woods um third record it's a jungle in here mm-hmm. if you've never listened to it it is so beautiful but there's a Saida song flute uh-huh. on there that will I've seen Medeski Martin okay. Wood a couple okay. of times yeah I, I I'm not as familiar with their yeah like uh recorded work right but I would see them like at the jazz festival I saw them twice I can't remember it's the jazz and blues festival and somewhere else and great show, really great show. So you um, have also always been a dude 
and maybe this goes back to the Renaissance and the color TV for the Super Bowl, <laughs> but like way, way, way into film and TV. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, fucking actors one. and like all this yeah. stuff. You'd have it all up there, and I'm always just like, that's my. That's you know, it, it's funny about this particular podcast is that, um, other than the Devo podcast, that's usually what I'm talking about on a podcast. I'm rarely ever talking about anything other than film and television. So that's a hundred percent. I'm confident. Unlike my discussing jazz, even though I love jazz and I collect jazz records and I read books about jazz, I never feel comfortable talking about jazz. Well, I, it's was, ha- I mean, you could spend a lifetime being a student of it and yeah. still feel uh, unarmed. Yeah, but is but it, film, I feel very confident. Like I can talk about that with anybody. Sure, I, you know. Now, if you were Quentin Tarantino, I would have a conversation with you. I'd feel good about it. Nice, you know. So, all of your, so all of these pod, all the podcasts mm-hmm. are still a thing that are yeah, happening. Well, they're available. We did the Alien Minute podcast. So we talked about the movie Alien one minute at a time, and then we did Aliens as well. Okay, but uh, we didn't do one minute at a time for Alien Three or Alien Resurrection. We didn't want to invest okay. our lives in yeah, those yeah, movies. Yeah. yeah, but nevertheless, we talked about those, and we've talked about a lot of other movies. You know, The Thing and. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of some others, you know, Where? just like general film talk. Okay, with my mentor, film professor. Where did Mitch Where Bryan do these live? Where can on people? Apple Podcasts the, or anywhere else? Okay, you can find a podcast. All, so yeah. we have the Devo. What's it ABC called? ABC Devo. ABC Devo. ABC DTOS, which is Star Trek original series, mm-hmm. and then Alien Minute, which contains also. We kind of moved, uh, combined these, but we also, Mitch and I also did a James Bond podcast called 007 by 7. Nice. Where we talked about James Bond movies seven minutes at a time because okay. we didn't want to do the minute thing again. Yeah. Uh, we only did the first two okay. so far. We okay. might do Golden oh, uh, Goldfinger soon. And, but, and you go, oh, this is, they're all virtual. Yeah. I mean, well, at first, Mitch and I were getting together. Okay. And we only, we tried to have live guests as much as we could. Yeah. Um, and then, um, covid and then it made it easier sometimes well we started trying to get guests from all around the country so like i would one of the great things that twitter's good for is like a tool to meet people that you could never meet you know of course and so i would reach out to critics um we had some interesting critics on the show we had um mitch worked in hollywood for ages so we've had some actors what's and, your handle uh my handle on twitter angular oh yeah okay okay i think we, i think we follow each other do we okay. i definitely get alerts I, I i can't remember if it's my personal or one of the podcast okay. ones but okay um yeah there's and, alien minute pod and you know the alien minute twitter met, do, do you did you meet mitch from undergrad stuff from well sort of i was going i was working at the tivoli theater where the film classes were mostly right, right. So i kind of knew him through there and then i was introduced to him more formally with my old, from Dr. Poe, Tom Poe, who was my first sort of mentor in the film department. And that was when it was more about history and theory and stuff before I got into production and screenwriting. And then he introduced me to Mitch, so I started taking screenwriting class. And then he and I just really hit it off. I don't know. But like, what, I ended up being one of those students that became friends with a professor. Sure. And he and I are really good, you know, very close now. Where did the original hook... Sorry about that. It's all right. Um... The original hook for TV and film, and so where did, was that? Was it from your folks or from just watching movies? Okay, I you know when I was a kid, uh, well the first thing I remember doing period is going to see Star Wars, and nice, um, that was a big deal right away. Of course, um, Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back, all that, and then just watching movies in general was just you know like any other kid. I just watched movies, HBO, hey, Flash sure. Gordon's on, whatever sure. it was, and then. Um, 
I got kind of started getting really into them, like Back to the Future, um, starting to be allowed to watch certain things like Indiana Jones. It wasn't allowed early on. Uh, we and so, saw a thing uh, last night. There's a there's a new one coming. Oh out. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's coming out in next year. You posted a picture of Harrison. And I, I was <laughs> like, a joke. I was like, fuck, did he die? Like, no, what is no, that? no. Okay. I'm just like right now for some reason I'm like finding funny pictures of people or whatever and just making my profile cool. picture for no reason other than it's really just kind of my way of posting a picture for no reason. Hey, anyway. I, I like it. Um. But then, yeah, I uh, I remember seeing some. So my parents didn't allow me to watch a lot of different kinds of movies when I was a kid for content reasons. But we had a video store nearby that had a massive collection of classic films. Okay, and those were allowed in the springs. Now this was up north by Hamilton. There was actually a town called Kingston, Missouri. Okay, okay. And there was it was this old couple that owned this little convenience store. It's called uh, called the wait, what was it called? The General Store, I think, is what it was called. And uh, or the country store, that's what it was called. Cool. And they realized video rental would be a great way to make money, so they built this little like side, like whole new building on the side of the store, and filled it with tapes. Dang. And they their thinking was VHS. VHS. Yeah, it was all okay. VHS at the time, and they were thinking was classic Hollywood. Yes, everybody loves this. This is what we watched, you know. Well, all that was allowed. There's no content problems there, right? So we could watch anything. So I was raised on Turner Classic Movies before Turner Classic Movies. Or, or we didn't have cable, so we didn't have it. But right. so I'm watching Bogart, and I'm watching all this kind of stuff. Oh wow! And then I start watching Hitchcock movies, and then my mom's like, "Oh, I remember seeing Psycho in the theater." And I start hearing it's like Hitchcock, Hitchcock, this, and he's like the celebrity. And I knew who Steven Spielberg was, but then it was like um, this other uh, celebrity filmmaker. So I'm like, um, I'm going to try to watch Hitchcock movies, and then it became process was interesting to me it's like oh he does so many fun things the camera cool. moves this way um he lights things this way and it became this process thing and then i got really hooked like i started reading magazines all the time and then i wanted to see every movie that came out all the time and who framed roger rabbit was another really big one which tapped in it was a modern movie that tapped into my classic movie yeah, background yeah and all these things and i was so excited about movies all the time so then by the time it became we have to rent movies every weekend I'd watch them on Friday night and then again on Saturday. Like, that's how it was. I just got really hooked. And then when it got to where I could kind of choose what movies to go to, even like, okay, R-rated movies are okay, I guess. And after that, it was just like addicted. So I wanted to go to New, I wanted to, go to New York for film school, which is a pipe dream. My parents were never going to let it happen or pay for it. But that's what I wanted to do, or L.A., and I went to Springfield instead, which didn't really have a film department, so it all kind of fizzled. Right. But I never forgot. Like I started trying to well, write you still movies. Carry around the joy of oh, that. Yeah. Oh, and still total fiend for movies. I mean, it, it seems like uh, you know, music and TV and film, like all like that's that's uh, that's your. That's I'm an your entertainment fun. get junkie. Yeah. That's, <laughs> but like that's the top go to choice for fun. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything else? currently in your life that uh, is a go-to for fun or is that kind of the bull the have you have I mean, you sports, sports right but those, you, that's tv right <laughs> have you ventured out into the uh cold harsh world of dating at all <laughs> not really no very little okay okay covid definitely i mean put a, such a huge damper on that right that now it's just kind of like I don't know if I have the energy to get back oh, out man. in there. It's it, is. it requires a lot. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Oh no, no. And I and it's it's energy and interest. Yes. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of okay. I'm kind of feel okay right now. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. 
I kind of I think I need this a spark or something. Okay. A okay. Particular person or something, but I always think that the, the it'll happen the way that it happened in Lethal Weapon, like with uh, in the in the produce section. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lethal Weapon two. Yeah. Oh, sorry, with the super. <laughs> I had to be pedantic there. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I would expect <laughs> nothing, but but super cute, like yeah. uh, African South, South African. South African. Yeah, yeah. Got like the real short, like mm-hmm. bleach blonde hair, and he's like making jokes about. And you're going to be the funniest guy in Charmer. And say, well, I'm making dinner anyway. Come over and have dinner. Yeah, like, yeah, and it's all organic, like, right? But ne- but actually, we all go to the grocery store and try never to see anybody yeah. we know or won't talk to anyone. There was ever. somebody looking at me in the frozen aisle. <laughs> it was really, I almost called the concept. police. Uh, normally, just because I don't know, I'm a nerd. Uh, I don't know how else to do it. I go if somebody gives more than one record. I try. To, I go chronologically. Oh, um, I kind of I, I well, kind of broke I, that. Didn't I, I I broke it. And mm-hmm. then you broke it a different way. Yeah. So we 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 went uh, 1991 to 1960, and now we're skipping back to is it 84? Yeah, 84. Uh, so there's a, a number of people that like I, you hear their name or somebody. T- oh, you got to check out. Um, and I, I used to hear the name Steve Kimock all the time. Okay. Like, and then uh, everybody, dude, you got to you know. And then one time I saw a bumper sticker. Who is Steve Kimmock and why is he following me around? And I, I still have only circumstantially like listened to his stuff. Um, but when we first talked, you gave me Minutemen, Double Nickels on the Dime, 1984, a double album. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, what is this? I don't, I don't know anything about these guys. So I pull up the record and open up a, a browser page and I'm like, Mike Watt yeah. is one of those guys that yeah. everybody, I, oh, dude, you got it, dude, Mike you got it. And I just Fire never. Hose, Mike Watt, whatever. Yeah, and yeah. then I was like, wait, my first reaction was like, must be a different Mike Watt. There's no way. And then I was like, oh, my God, holy shit. This record, uh, first of all, those guys, um, so he did Firehose and, and Ball Hog or Tugboat. Like, what a whatever. weird yeah, I don't name. Know. Yeah. But. And then um, he did his solo-y kind of stuff, and he did that thing with Eddie Vedder in He the did 90s a thing and... where he uh, plays a whole, like an album with a whole bunch of tracks and different... Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's, ba- he's, he's, he's guitar... No. He's bass. He's yeah. bass, so different guitarists on each track. Yeah, and I, track. Think that, I think that might be the one that Eddie Vedder's on, too, okay, that he okay. does some vocals on it. And they did some, and it was kind of a popular song for a second. I Interesting. Barely remember that, but... These guys... Man, in 80 to 85 mm-hmm. and four records and eight eps mm, like busy EPs. and then uh this d boone character uh he's the passes lead. yeah he's the lead singer and guitar player and he yeah he got killed in a, i believe he was driving his van and car wreck killed him just out of the blue wow this is real sudden and they were just i want to say they were i think they were just about to go on tour with rem they were about to get a I lot of exposure tracks. yeah 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 because REM was with IRS Records at the time, and Minutemen was with SST, but they were gonna do something together. Because, I mean, say what you will about REM, they were cool. You know, yeah. they were like, t- t- uh, like they tuned into of, cool people. They dropped out of college to tour, dude. And, yeah, and they were amazing. Oh, I just did a not to go on the REM. I just did a re-listen to all REM up through Out of Time because okay. they were a big deal to me too. That's a very formative band for me. Yeah, where it was like. An, oh, an alternative band I've heard of. So I thought they were really amazing. And they were. They yeah. are. And that yeah. early stuff was so good. I was way better than even I remembered. But anyway, Minutemen, 
Yeah, so this is another Henry Rollins adjacent I, thing, right? There, it, everything I looked under it seemed to be littered with superstars. Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction, Jeff Mangum from Neutral mm-hmm. Milk Hotel, one of the dudes from Wilco, Henry Rollins. Yeah, so uh, Rollins, Black Flag on SST as well. Yeah. So they toured together. So when I listened to Rollins's book, uh, I listened to the audiobook of Get in the Van back when I was in college and learning about punk rock. So you talk about touring with the Minutemen. The Minutemen talked about just hear the name. Nothing much about it other than how amazing they were. And also also how I was, uh, I knew Devo was through Whip It, but then Rollins would talk about how they were one of the best bands in the world. I was like, oh, I got to listen to the more right. Devo. Right. All these things. So big influence on me. So then Minutemen, I'm hearing about it, not really pursuing it per se. And then I see the CD, Double Nickels on Dime, in Camelot or something. Is, the, is there like a car rear view mirror? Yeah, it's Mike Watt driving. Okay. And the joke of the the reason it's called that. Now, this is a joke, but it's one of those tongue-in-cheek jokes that's not funny per se. <laughs> but they, were, they thought it was so stupid that Sammy Hagar's big rebellious anthem was... That he can't drive limit. the speed limit, <laughs> so they were like, "Well, well, we'll make our album be we do drive the speed limit and make good music." Oh. Like that's kind of what they said. That's the reason. So anyway, that's what the album. But also, I always thought the double nickels was also the double album. I, um, anyway, yeah. But, uh, but um, so I see it, and I'm like, okay, anything Rollins says, I'm buying a CD today, and I did not expect this because. because doesn't sound like punk rock no so i'm like okay this is not this is punk rock sorta but it doesn't sound like the three chord punk rock like the ramones or whatever or even black flag with a super kind of fast and aggressive yeah Yeah. these guys are this bass player is really good yes um he's playing complex shit yeah the guitar stuff is complex and but rough so that in that sense it's punk rock but it's also like rock and roll and then He'll say things like, uh, in one song, he goes, we cut down the guitar solo. And he actually plays the guitar solo. It's like the irony, you know? And just everything about it, it's like this adventure through music. It's very palpable to me. I love love the 43 tracks. I I love, it's a really great record. Wasn't it? I didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. Um, But really fantastic. It's very palpable to me that they uh, were having fun. Mm Mm-hmm. And obviously they're good at their craft, but also uh, a lot of really good uh, song titles. Yeah, um, it, which to me is like they they have uh, a, you know a, a good harness on on the language, which mm-hmm. uh, that really ratchets up my dork you know things that I'm geeked out about. But uh, so the Apple blurb. Uh, a line from the Apple blurb, Double Nichols continues to thwart anyone's ability to categorize yeah. the Minutemen. Which, you know. They're categorized, they, they talk about punk rock, so they categorize themselves sort of. And then um, being on SST Records categorizes them to a certain extent. But musically, sonically, no. Sorry, they're not, they're singular. There's just nobody else. And there's jazz in there. There's rock, there's straight rock and roll, there's punk rock, there's, stuff i don't know how to describe it and like they're one of those bands there's that were you know i always say very few bands have three of my top you know have three members that are all in my top five favorite in their instrument but all three of those guys are my top five favorite bass player guitar player and drummer george hurley d boone 
And I love, and the thing about guitar, me and guitars, I like rough guitar. I don't okay. like clean guitar. Okay. I like it when it's All a little right. sloppy. I think Kurt Cobain's one of my favorite guitar players. And a lot of people dissed him. You remember when they used to diss uh, Cobain as a guitar player? And then he blew their doors off in the acoustic yeah. uh, MTV. Yeah. Um, but it was still rough. It's not like, he's not Clapton or no. Harrison or something. But that's or, less interesting to me. Uh, it's or more Jerry, he's not Jerry Cantrell. Either. No, no. I mean, like, and, and there's those. Yeah. So you get up into the that that Seattle world that we called grunge, but you know, it's the Seattle sound. Yeah. Yeah. Some like Jerry Cantrell. All of Alice in Chains were like instrumentally probably more solid than most of the bands up there. And but Nirvana had that thing, and it's like the sonic thing, cohesive thing, that's still slop, kind of sloppy and rough, and we're gonna go for it. And the Minutemen, it sounds like they're kind of in a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously because of the song links, which yeah. apparently they still claim doesn't have anything to do with the name, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, but there's something like we're just going for it. We're just going full bore into this thing. And like you said, it's 43 tracks and it just goes and goes and goes. There's a couple of little spots where it kind of slows down. There's a little acoustic instrumental. There's a, like a little spoken wordy thing. Sure. And, um, and then um, what is it called? The History of Rock and Roll is like sounds like a more formed pop song you know but that's great because it's yeah. got all this texture to it well and i don't know it's my favorite i will say without reservation it's my favorite rock and roll record nice and again rock and roll being loosely used as a category for um, them. opening track d's car jam anxious mofo there's a zappa-esque sounding sure. solo uh to close the track and i was like wait where I don't know where this is going to go. And then, you know, it, it, it didn't matter that I was asking where this, but I, I by the time you ask the question, the song's over. Yeah. yeah. And, and it just sort of, uh, my, I roll in with a, you know, a list of three or whatever it is questions. And before I have one of three answered, I now have nine questions mm-hmm. uh, or, or curiosities. Like I'm not, I don't necessarily need answers to them, but, um, so San Pedro, uh, not far from Long Beach, Compton, Inglewood, Santa Monica, or, or really Beverly Hills. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people uh, f- from these areas that grew up in these areas or, or moved there to tr- pursue their craft talk about this LA vibe. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that it would be cool to tool around San Pedro. And I, I feel like you'd get some of it on you, some of yeah. whatever they were experiencing when they were creating this music. I don't know why. Could be, I don't but know. Yeah. LA is a wild place uh, to I, say the least. I always picture San Pedro as being a real working class place. Uh-huh. I, uh-huh. I, I think that's true. And it's a, it's a, like a Harbor town. I think, I don't know for sure. Okay. I think it is, but um, yeah, a little bit more rough and tumble, not like not far from Hollywood, but pretty far from Hollywood. Yeah. You know? But yeah, do they, you remember uh, Jet? Are you gonna go my way, or are you gonna be my girl? You remember that track? The, by dun, the dun, 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 dun. and then they kind of just spit out that. Are you gonna be my girl? No, no, no. I'm probably you probably if you heard the real thing. Yeah, maybe. But it, I'm it's the ex- band Jet. Yes, that, I remember that one song that they had that was kind of like a ballady song. Oh, but um. No, this one was yeah high energy, a little bit abrasive, and it was kind of a hit. But it's expected I'm gone is like uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jet shared mm-hmm. a sandwich in an alley okay, and yeah, then yeah. just went their separate ways. Yeah, there's there's no limit to their influence, and in even if you look in the liner notes, you'll see them. 
I don't know if it's ironic or not thinking Van Halen and thinking different bands for the, you know, I think they love and, and also wanted to undo whatever was going on with like mainstream rock and roll. Okay. So there was like a push and pull where they're like, yeah, we want to be uh, an entertaining uh, rock and roll band in one way, but we also kind of dislike the commercialization of it. Sure. And they certainly were not commercial guys. And still to this day, Mike, you know, it was a grungy dude, man. And, um, um, so it's like perfect punk rock in a sort in a way, but yeah. it's not so much a punk rock from that time to me. I mean, I love it, but, um, there was like a very specific sound that's like, this is punk rock and this is not that, but they know, I feel like in they, that circle, they get put people, in the punk like rock genre and stuff yeah. on the shelf at the music store. Cause mm-hmm. nobody knows where else would you put it? But, and that's, who's going to buy it. Yeah. That's who's looking at yeah. for the punk rock. But records. I don't think everybody that's buying punk record rock records is going to love this and i and i love this and i don't love all punk rock i don't know i'll tell you this i've never met anybody that said they didn't like minutemen i don't think okay okay i really think that everybody kind of loves them or that's listened to them i I mean i've played them for people that don't care about punk rock at all and they're like what is this right like okay so i get the cd and um i play it for my friend who is this like guitar player um kind of hippie a little bit hippie-ish guy you know and definitely went on to be more that uh really into ween and fish and stuff like that and i love ween too but um i played this one it was just blew our minds like we never stopped we listened to it every day for a long time and we even did a dumb cover of it there's like some tape in somewhere in the world unless it was destroyed of me i can't remember which song we did now but like doing little covers of minutemen songs nice it's just infected in yeah. our head you know and I don't know, man. I, it's hard to it's hard to gush more about it. Like, um, I just recommend everybody listen to it. Like, go out and listen to it. Like, yeah. if you've never heard this record, I don't care what kind of music you're into, give it a shot. For sure. And especially at least get through the first 10 tracks. I mean, it only takes about 10 minutes to get through the first 10 tracks, if that. Um, there's this point where it really takes off. And, and one of the reasons is it's hard to tell from the, you know, Spotify track list or even a cd that was just one disc or it was the cd was just one disc but um the record is four sides and the all the sides were selected by a different person oh, so funny. mike i believe it was d boone picked side um a on disc one mike watt side b on disc one george hurley side a or c on disc two and then their producer oh, and funny. i think they called it it was kind of their producer or whatever um but it was called like the chaff that side of the record's called like Chaff or something huh. because none, they're all songs that none of the band members put on the album themselves or selected for the album. So it's just kind of like, well, we have to fill out one more side yeah. and yet it's are all amazing. Oh, wow. But there's a point I feel like the D Boone stuff's really great, but then the Mike Watt stuff's where it really accelerates. Uh-huh. And maybe it's because I'm such a bass guy. Like maybe. I kind of, I kind of dig bass forward music. You know, like okay. Helmet was a band I really like. Things they were just, boom, boom, just boom, here boom. last night, I think. Were they? I think Helmet? With, with two other bands, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I, I not, don't listen to them a ton now. Yeah. But back in the day, Primus and sure. and bands that had like were bass forward were always really, always really appealing to me. So I think that's part of why Minutemen are appealing. And then Mike Watt's side of the record might be. But from there, you're just on that journey. You're not going to stop. For I, sure. I, so For I just, sure. hey, we don't have to keep talking about it. Um. I just think everyone should listen well, to that record. Well, I agree. And I want to just, a couple 
do you want new wave or do you want the truth mm -hmm. shit from an old notebook yeah political song from michael jackson to sing <laughs> uh i'm cra and then all of a sudden we hit corona and i'm like the jackass theme yeah what that, the fuck there, there you go that's the one i was gonna say like everybody knows that song if right they don't have any idea and then a lot of skater folk know Minutemen because they would just pop up on skater uh, movie, you know, skater yeah. films. There and ain't stuff. There ain't shit on TV tonight. <laughs> uh, un untitled song for Latin America, Jesus and Tequila, which yeah. has a great riff in it. Yeah. Um, our Doctor Wu. Are you crazy? Are you high? Are you just an ordinary guy? Yeah. <laughs> the world. See, the world according to nouns. <laughs> this is where I'm saying, like, it just kind of feels like some guys are going for it. It's like these are. Sometimes they feel like rough draft songs and titles, and they're great that way. But it's like untitled song about you know or whatever. Yeah, it's like yeah. like no time. I, I, <laughs> let's just get this track down and let's get it on the album. And and you know they made a lot of good. Their EPs are great, all of it. But this is their big big record. Yeah. You know. Um, well, I just again yeah. you know I I see your text. And I'm like I don't know what that is, but okay. I thought maybe you would just because like I said that friend of mine who was also really into the album. You guys would agree on a lot of music too. Sure. So I thought maybe at some point somebody played it for you and you got hooked too. I thought it was possible. Uh, yeah. Keep in mind a, a large portion of the genesis of this podcast is, you know, I I wore a, a cap for many many years that said, "This is the beginning of the line of good music." Mm -hmm. Like get, I, you know, and yeah, yeah. so like. No, take that off and listen to that guy and this girl and blah blah blah. But uh, I see this. I'm like interesting. And then when I sit down to get ready for it and I see the cover art, I'm like interesting. And then so I just have those two things, and then the music starts, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like, it, it, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, good, like, good. Uh, not on a level of Tribe Called Quest per se, but. I, I a lot of years you know, kind of hanging in in that native tongues sort yeah, yeah, yeah. not always in and out but I know the material and I just came to this one later so maybe one but it yeah keep it in your rotation and see, fantastic if it, see what happens maybe in about 10 years you'll be like got that record yeah so yeah um so you wake up tomorrow money is no longer an option <laughs> uh Ooh, that, are you nice. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. That you, of course, will uh, continue to be uh, fifty percent of a great co-parenting unit. There'll be writing that'll be a, a good part of your life, and and you know music and movies and t and TV and and so forth as um, a, a hobby. Or, or there's that's also on your plate. Anything? Are are you a project guy? Do you become handy? Are you traveling? Are you what? traveling for sure but i think if if for some reason i hit my won the lottery that i don't play yes um <laughs> I, I buy a movie theater Ooh, i mean that would be Whoa. number one a there's we lost the tivoli theater here in kansas city we do not have an education an educational movie theater anymore nobody will really let us have classes in on in a theater anymore which was so huge for me yeah Going to film school i actually got to go sit in a real theater and watch these classic films and learn about them while watching them in the proper way on a giant screen inside of a theater with good sound in dark room. Now, are you, you have it. Now you have it. You have your, you built a theater. It, I, I open build like a film center that has okay. a few screens. But I mean, are you, 
are you putting people on the payroll to run it the way you want it run, or mm-hmm. are you in there operationally every? Uh, no, I don't think I want to okay. be a manager of a Smart. movie theater. Well, then you're, uh, you're you're taking time from the from the I'm screenwriting. I'm chairman of the board, but yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I don't want to do I, no. Like the real dream would be money's no object, so all I have to do is get up in the morning, walk to the coffee shop, and write, which is what I already do. <laughs> but I also. But I also have to get up at some point and punch a clock so I can pay the rent. Of course. Because at this point, so far, I'm not making a living getting up and walking to the coffee shop and writing. That's the dream. Yeah. But, um, and I think it still can happen. It can happen. Uh, but, you know, in the meantime, teaching's going to take over for the bartending and all that stuff uh, eventually. But the money's no object thing would definitely be um, opening a movie cool. theater, a film center, an educational center for film, um, maybe a bit like the new Bev. Tarantino's theater where a lot of actual film I would actually buy a film projector so one screen would be equipped to show hopefully like 70 millimeter films on film as opposed to the digital projection which is perfectly okay but um not as good as film yeah this is not the texture and the depth and everything but I that would be my main thing to do I uh, go to Japan that's the traveling dream. I want. That's where I want to go. Yeah, me too. It's it, definitely my number one conversation for another day. But yeah. mine too. Mine too. Hundred percent. Uh, I could. I could. You could keep all the rest of it. I just want to go there and like. Do you ever feel like there's no excuse for us not to have it done it already? That like somehow we didn't do it. We didn't prepare or save correctly. I didn't. Of course. So many people I know have been there. Why can't I go? I didn't <laughs> leave. The, I didn't leave the country until oh four, and I've only left yeah, one or two 08. other times since then. And one of those was Mexico for, anyway, um, I, I get uh, anxious when the hour of guest arrival approaches because mm-hmm. I, I don't want it to suck. I want mm-hmm. it to be, uh, and I think that a lot of that anxiety is because my initial vision for what we'll talk about and what I'll, I'll remember, I'm going to remember all the jokes and all the funny little blah, 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 and it's going to be perfect and it never is the minute you leave i'll remember something sure uh but i i meant to have a much more uh concise view on your on your podcast experience and and your other creative endeavors and a lot of things fell through the cracks um but you also published a a graphic novel is that the right dodd school (laughs) dodd skull investigation okay weird title not advisable to do weird titles uh, like that because everybody's always just, how do you say like you just did gonna title something make people but you did it, it you I did do it yeah I drew I drew it I'm not a great artist but I did it in my own style and I wrote a whole story and it was supposed to be part one of three and then uh, it's one of those things where well I mean I, got, I sold some books but I didn't get the juice I needed to keep going okay okay you know what I mean like yeah. so it was like I wrote like I don't know like a quarter of the second book, but didn't feel any juice. Like okay, like, so I, there was an idea there, but I, I've gotten good. I mean, I've gotten good feedback about the book. Is it and, still? Can people still find it or no? Uh, kinda. If you live in Chicago, there's one copy at, Qu- at Quimby's Books in okay. Wicker Park. <laughs> I know that. Well, I love that though. I almost don't want anybody to buy right. it because I just want the book to be there. Right. So the last time I was in Chicago in the spring, I took my friend who lives there. We went to Quimby's. I took Archer to Quimby's one of the best bookstores in the world and um saw that there were still two copies in there so my friend tom bought one <laughs> and it was like Dude, what are you doing and, oh and let me tell you this archer didn't know i had written a book oh wow and so he's like, fun. wait a minute you wrote that book and i was like yeah and it's in the store i was like yeah he's like whoa and he, that's he, what's he up. was impressed yeah that's was what's cool. up with your old man and then he read it 
And he was like, I want to read your book. This was some time later, not that long ago now. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I had a copy on my shelf. I gave it to him. And he read it. And then he comes back. And I kind of, it's weird about writing things. You kind of forget what you wrote sometimes. Like, you kind of get the idea of the story, but you don't remember every detail of it, especially if you write a lot of other things. And he comes back and goes, a lot of bad words in that book, oh. Dad. And I was like, oh, yeah? Is there? And I was like, I don't think there's that many. He goes, Dad, look. And he opens up, and there was a panel. I forgot that there was this one point where a character just went on this whole like profane rampage. It was like a whole bubble of just profanity. I was like, oh, okay. I forgot about that. Well, so it was funny, but you, he's mature about that kind of thing. So You put it out, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I yeah, you bought a copy, a copy sure. but we didn't connect I, I didn't go to wherever anyway you had it for a long time I held, and, yeah. and then uh we crossed past a, a handful of At tuesdays broadway cafe yeah, yeah and you were pushing him in a stroller oh, yeah. on this particular morning and he was little and uh unhappy about something <laughs> and you're 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 juggling a bunch of different things and i was like I know exactly what that feels like. So uh-huh. that tracks that he would now be, what? You wrote a book and it's in the store? Oh my God. But I did give you the book eventually. You did. You did. I think I, I feel like I carried one around for a while. You did. You did. I ran into you again. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but point being, uh, I didn't mean to gloss over the podcast stuff. I didn't mean to omit oh, no, no, no. any. I, I think we talked about it quite a bit, right? Yeah. yeah but, but I, I that was supposed to be okay. In this section, we're going to examine all the creative uh, things that you've done. Uh, we'll talk podcasts, and it'll be efficient time-wise. And then we'll talk about the book, and we'll talk about all of the other things that you've done, which I don't know what they are. But uh, I think we covered um, a good amount of ground. I think so too. Um, and uh, I can't thank you enough for coming. This was a really good time, and yeah. uh, I had a lot of fun listening to your records and. Um, I, if you ever do get around to checking out episode 33 with, uh, Adam Wilkie, um, there's, uh, 15, we talked about 15, actually, I think I accidentally skipped once we talked about 14 jazz records, Okay, 11 of which were his. And then he said anything by these four guys. And so I went and picked, you know, not, not too different from how you, picked that uh coltrane record giant steps i picked uh a record by each of these anything buys just on a whim just to have something um but he's really intelligent he, and he knows he knows this miles coltrane like yeah, the, yeah. that whatever it is the 50s into the 60s like and hard bop era he, he, yeah. he knows the stuff so yeah. it might sound like i'm listening with equal not but it's not that's not <laughs> the case at all cool anyway, well i'll check it out for sure thanks for coming john i yeah, appreciate thanks for having me man. talk to you appreciate it cool all right man very nice yeah